Private Suite Podcast. Today on the interview series, we're joined by two very special guests. We have Equip, uh, Kevin is what he is also known by sometimes, and we have R23X, Mark, also is known as that sometimes. <laughs> How's it going, gentlemen? Hello there. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. In the Private Suite. It's cozy in here, eh? Love it. Thank you for entertaining my sad, sad joke. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, welcome to the show. It's, uh, like I said, a real treat to have you guys here. Yeah, of course. Thanks yeah, for really coming nice on. To, thanks for bringing us on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Real, real pleasure. Real treat. Anytime you guys want to come back, just give me a holler. Nice. <laughs> that would be fantastic. So we got a lot to go through today. We're going to pop through some questions and just get to know you guys a little bit. First of all, how's everybody feeling tonight? I'm doing great. Um, it's been so crappy weather-wise in Chicago. And uh, yesterday, it finally broke 70 degrees and the sun came out. So uh, Ooh, I'm lucky, lucky. very happy. Um, I don't know what that is for you, Mark. That's like 30-something, 30 30-something 30 30 Celsius. 30 degrees Celsius? Hmm. That's pretty warm. That's sure. like peak ah, summer yes. out temperature here. Right? <laughs> yeah. 70s, like, perfect uh for me that's yeah especially out in in vancouver right fellow oh yeah 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 i'm also canadian in the house yep i think that's the first time this has happened really first time i'm outnumbered (laughs) (laughs) start talking about loonies and toonies and Uh (laughs) bits and things like that yeah yeah double devils yeah, Vancouver is a beautiful city. I've been there a few times. Never been to Chicago, but someday. How are you finding the uh, going outside? You know, you mentioned the weather's nice. How are you able to enjoy it if you're in a metropolis like Chicago? Um, I live about six and a half miles like northwest of downtown. So I'm not, um, you know, I'm in a like a family neighborhood. There's a, an elementary school um, within the vicinity. So it's our neighborhoods designed in a way that there's not a whole lot of like external traffic. It's kind of closed off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got a back porch and, and right now I'm, I'm basking on the roof. So, uh, there's plenty yeah. of like private, you know, outdoor space where I don't have to worry about, um, you know, mm-hmm. human contact. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've been getting most of my like, groceries, et cetera delivered to the house so um mm-hmm. trying to minimize going outside but uh you know i got a mask and stuff so if i need yeah, to if you're just hanging out on the roof i'm sure it's all good yeah 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 Are you getting the barbecue out yeah we did uh bust the grill out the other day and we uh nice. fried up some uh beyond burgers it's really really tasty 
Oh, sick. I haven't tried them yet. Oh, they're delicious. We, uh, we go through a lot of them here at the household. Yeah. Uh, I hear they're, like, they're better, maybe? They're so convincing that usually the yeah. first time people have one, they think that there must have been a mistake or something. And that mm-hmm. they, they've been fed, you know, uh, actual meat because they do taste just very strikingly similar, which is great. You know, I'm not, uh, I have not been a vegan for my whole life. Uh, I'm, I'm accustomed to eating meat. I enjoy the taste of meat. I just, uh, I'm trying to reduce my carbon footprint and uh, mm-hmm. ethics, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that good you don't want to hear from a vegan. So, yeah, <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Is it expensive? They are quite pricey. It's like five ninety nine for two burgers, so it's a special occasion. Two patties, yeah. Do, yep. do people really think that they taste the same as red meat? It's been so long yeah. since I've well, had they it. They do, but, because yeah. there's, there's heme iron in them, right? Oh, okay. That's the main convincing factor. I think they taste about as close as any fake meat has ever gotten. Mm-hmm. I saw a video on it once. Yeah, they they somehow a couple of years ago figured out how to get the heme iron in there, which is like that blood yeah. sort of taste. Like, hmm. right, body, right. Like it's iron. Uh, and it's heme iron is only found in animals. You can't get it from plants. So that's like, I think the main driving factor, like I said. Check it out. You know, I'm probably not totally correct. No, I've heard here. that the heme is the secret ingredient as well, so. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> True. I'm sure they're not uh, any like. healthier for you than, you know, a regular burger, but uh, mm-hmm. I like my junk food, so. Yeah. <laughs> I got to have something. Sometimes. I've been eating a lot of junk food during this quarantine. It's, <laughs> it's so easy bad. to do. Yeah. Two Snickers bars in one day. Mm, sounds great. <laughs> How about a One's full pack of Oreos? Oh, God. Because I've done that <laughs> in a day. That's a lot. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. My stomach was It's also impressive. Like an entire box of Oreos or like a packet? Um, they come in like, like uh, I guess like it would be rows. a box. Yeah. So three yeah, rows. Three, three rows, full yeah. rows. Wow. Uh-huh. That is a lot in one day. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I would, that's so much, I'm kind of sensitive to sugar sometimes and I just feel weird when I have too much. It's not like a continuous session. It's like I keep going (laughs) up to get one every 25 minutes or so. And then by the end of the day, there's none left. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Consistent uh, input. Usually if I'm like, like trying to make a, trying to write a new song or something i don't like to spend a whole lot of time on like food prep <laughs> i'll just eat, yeah. eat some like mac and or uh like a i don't know why i said mac and cheese uh like a peanut butter <laughs> and jelly sandwich for lunch yeah. and then you know just snack for the rest of the day for sure same here i i kind of eat all day in little little bits like a bird, like a bird. people say <laughs> a fellow bird totally. in the house awesome so uh mark how are you finding the quarantine and going outside and everything? Oh, it's been, it's been fine. Uh, I already work from home like full time and have for many years and doesn't mean too oh, yeah. big of a, a change of pace for me, but I try to get out and exercise on my bike and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, everything's shut down. It's a little weird, but I've been doing okay. Having a good time on yeah. my bike. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Not getting pulled over. <laughs> no, no, it's like, uh, I'm allowed outside. I think <laughs> I'm not yeah, breaking okay. any rules. 
by biking around. Sure. Yeah. But as far as I know. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might be different in Toronto. I'm not are are you like I don't know what the, the provincial rules are there. They maybe Yeah, different. I don't know the rules. Yeah. I'm seeing way less bikes though. Definitely. There's a lot of bikes, a lot of bike paths here. Mm-hmm. Especially around where I live and ain't nobody on bikes right now, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I went out yesterday, um, because my favorite Italian ice place uh, reopened, and they have just like a booth, basically like a window that you walk up to on the street. Um, so it's still, oh yeah, it's still pretty safe, you know. You're outside, and they have like marked areas on the sidewalk uh, every six feet to where you can line up. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. You, I, you'd swear that it was just a normal summer day yesterday. There's just tons of people everywhere. Most of them not, yeah. not wearing any kind of PPE or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What yeah. can you do? You can't stop people from enjoying the outside, I guess. Yeah, it just sucks. I, like for for me, like not to spend too much time on it, but for me, I have like not met very many places to go where mm. I don't am not surrounded by people. Yeah, and then they're gonna start opening things up. Like, not as soon as some places in the U.S., but I'm sort of fearful of that. Yeah. (laughs) Concerts, for example, are happening in June. Interesting. A lot are booked already. That's pretty soon. At least metal metal concerts. Yeah. That's funny because all of the, like, hopeful thinking, rebooking of shows has, um, has I feel like the second wave has been canceled now. Like, all of the fall shows that I saw from artists you know that had rescheduled their like early spring tours are like yeah the fall ones are canceled now too so mm, wow yeah i like um I forgot who it was but some um some indie artist had the brilliant idea to do like a drive-in movie theater tour i thought that was hmm. a really good uh that is a good idea really good way to yeah work with the situation i think i saw a stand-up comedian do that that's awesome. Drive-in stand-up, and that everyone would tune in to like the F- FM radio frequency, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to pick up on it. It's a cool idea. You're still mm-hmm. kind of in your own protective bubble, you know. If you don't get it, yeah. Car. It's a shame we don't have. Uh, yeah, actually, no. That's that's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> we'll skip that one. So I just want to say before we hop into these interview questions that I've not really interviewed two artists, at least from different projects before at the same time in one show. Sure. So um, hopefully we, uh, you know, we just balance it well and forgive me if I end up leaning more toward one artist over another. No worries. I think we're both kind of here to represent the... um our new, you know, collaborative project. So it's almost mm. like you're interviewing like a band. Yeah, <laughs> I guess for sure. Well, on that note, shall we talk about that? Yeah. Uh, you guys have a new project together. Let's get into it. For sure. You have uh, two singles out so far, I believe only two severe mountain path and airship theme. Yes. Or mm-hmm. fast air travel in brackets. Yeah. Yeah. What incredible, incredible stuff you guys are coming up with. Like, unbeatable combination, the two of you. Airship theme is like, oh, cuts to the core of me in so many ways. Thank you, thank you. Wow, that's really nice. I'm just like, that's just very 
briefly talking about it. Appreciate it. It's um, it's been a long time coming, and we've kind of been sitting on this material. Uh, I don't know, Mark, since we like first met each other, I guess. Yeah, we've like, always felt like it was maybe destiny to work together on a project ever since yeah. we we met, really. So, so when did you, and when did you guys meet? That was so uh, for a little bit more history. I actually discovered r 23 X while I was in the middle of writing. I dreamed of a palace in the sky. And, um, I made, I, I, I figured out that he was doing the whole RPG shtick and I was like, Oh my God, I, I don't know this dude. I hope that he doesn't think that I like am stealing his shtick. Cause <laughs> right. I truly did start it, you know, on my own accord without knowing anything about Mark's music. And then mm-hmm. I discovered it midway through writing the album and I made the conscious decision to not listen to any of it until I was done with the album. So that yeah. there was no way that, you know, yeah, you just don't know who people are online. And, you know, some people are like weirdly competitive or some people are always accusing other people of taking stuff from them. So yeah, that never crossed well, my mind. Not even once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Of course, after I met you, it was like, oh, you're just the sweetest, uh, most kind person ever. Of course and now be. is that, did you find mark through his release on dream catalog i did yeah or okay so yeah i started kind of combing the older stuff on dc and i found uh oh god i don't know what any of your albums are called mark because they're all file names rpg ost dot rar dot that zip or i think it yeah those are those are all literally you're covering half my discography (laughs) right there in that, that sentence yeah yeah nailed it um yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i think i think like uh i guess we were on each other's radar like following each other on twitter but i was like visiting chicago for a yeti records related business trip and i just tweeted mm-hmm. i'm in chicago what up or something and <laughs> kevin tweeted me back and mm-hmm. uh we met up and it was great nice and just to clarify for the listeners you are a co-owner of yeti records is that right i don't own it but i run the the record label portion of the business um oh okay yeah understood so mark um yeah said that he was in chicago and i i dm'd him and i was like um honestly i kind of wasn't even it was like a really cold night and i was kind of thinking like well if it's not like within a like I don't know, a mile and a half or two miles of me, I'm not going to bother because um, at that point in time, I did not have a vehicle. You know, I just usually ride my bike around town. I don't have a vehicle right now either. I just just ride, walk everywhere. Um, and the summer is great, but the winters can get brutal. Yeah, and it was it was pretty cold that night. And he was like, oh, I'm at Logan Arcade, which is like about a mile from me and a really, really short bike ride. And I was like, oh, well, that's a no-brainer. I'll just pop right over there. Yeah, um, it, I remember reading that and thinking, okay, like, this is sweet. I hope this guy biking in the snow in the middle of the night isn't weird to meet me. <laughs> but pretty standard, uh, standard operating procedure for me. <laughs> yeah, we actually, and then uh, I think I was there with uh, Drew Wise, who's a Yeti artist. He's done a lot yeah. of amazing record covers. And uh, definitely. He was like, yeah, sure, let's meet up with this fellow. And, uh, <laughs> and he, and he sh- 
Kevin shows up and he's like, dude, you guys look the same because I guess we have <laughs> the same haircut and like yeah. long brown hair. We'll try and find yeah. that photo for you actually the day we met. It's a pretty cute photo. Yeah, we'll have to oh. send that to you. Yeah, we, we'll put it in the description. That'd be great. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the, Drew, um, he's he did the art for Synthetic Core 88. He, um, that's our, our core. And also uh, Earthcade so. too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Earthcade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so drew is kind of the uh it's like a binding link between us yeah for sure mm. he's he's a really great artist to work with um he's done tons of video game and vapor stuff now for like art in terms of album art it's, i love the yeah. style a lot yeah he's really getting out there so yeah drew's a hard nice. worker and he's a real like go-getter like he's nailed so many awesome projects by just like making art for people and then just like showing it to them like well yeah. what do you think of this like, i think that's how he nailed the persona 5 like ost artwork he just like made a mock-up and sent it to atlas or whatever and was like hey um i'll do this for you if you don't have anyone else in mind and they were like all right sure no it's done nice. we're gonna print it is it enough high enough resolution <laughs> to print it <laughs> yeah yeah he's good well yeah um i think we started working together um I don't know, maybe like six months after that, would you say, Mark? Yeah, like uh pretty shortly afterwards. Yeah, within within a year of, of meeting. I like was I think I even came back to Chicago and we started um like fooling around on uh your computer and like co writing some tracks and stuff. That's so right, it's definitely right. been years in the making at this point. Um which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. So yeah, we have a Dropbox folder that uh, mm-hmm. I think the first one that we did uh, has yet to be released yet, though we have that one in mind, the uh, the kind of the forest hip-hop jam. You remember that one, Mark? Oh, yeah. It's been a really long time since I've listened to it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, uh, I had kind of some, some stems of like post-Synthetic Core 88 stuff that I wanted to kind of flush out and i was like oh why not just send it to mark see if he can do anything with it and uh mm-hmm. it, almost immediately he he flipped it and it was it turned out really really good and it was like wow this this is just gonna work i think um, we both have such similar like references and influences and uh it, it came together pretty quickly and uh so yeah we just kind of started uh making new stuff whenever we could you know it's it's usually one of us starts the track and the other one finishes it there's been a couple tracks where we've juggled it back and forth, you know, where, where he'll pass it off to me and I'll do some stuff and then pass it off to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the final mixes have kind of been split, I'd say 50, 50 between both of us. And, um, just the overall effort I think is, is a pretty even 50, 50 split. And mm-hmm. the, some tracks, uh, I think severe mountain path was, a uh, Mark had what sounded like, I don't know. I, I heard it. And I heard a complete song already. Like I just knew what, what to do to, to finish it though to Mark, it was just like, you know, some a couple loops, right? Like you, you were like, I don't know where to take this one. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, let me just, let me just finish it. <laughs> and then I think I, I finished it like that night or the next night. And it, it just sounded awesome already. Like it's, yeah. it's still just a, a good, uh, good blend of both of our sounds. And, um, yeah, not a whole lot of like there's a lot of times where i get stems from people and it's just it's hard to like make any sense of them and i i know that i'm probably not Mm. going to be able to work with them like 
more than that, you know, but yeah. Mark is just like, oh yeah, for sure. One It'll thing, one, oh, <laughs> that's nice. Like one thing about our, like you mentioned our styles and influences, not so much styles, but our influences are definitely overlapping and our overall aesthetic and ideas overlap so much, but our actual styles of music making and our finished products do differ and turns mm. out complement each other. So that's pretty cool. Like, I guess that's something, oh, we're friends. We have similar interests. Let's collab. But like Kevin is saying, then you get the stems and you're like, I'm just, okay. I'm not sure what to do with this. But mm-hmm. in our case, we've really seemed to like, you know, it's been a little slow, but we've really just had a lot of like creatively fulfilling times together, I think. And uh, yeah. it's still kind of ongoing. And that's maybe why we've, not necessarily envisioned, we call it kind of a multimedia project because we want to be sort of creating new work on a schedule and not be bound by like an album release date or anything like that. Um, oh yeah. So newsflash, the, like the album is not done. We're not done yeah. with the album. <laughs> We're still working on it. Um, but yeah. we had to start releasing stuff because it's, I mean, at this point, we I think we made Severe Mountain Path in like 2017 or something, and it's like, yeah, yeah we got to get this out of here. It's like rotting on our Dropbox, you know. <laughs> yeah, I want oh, somebody to hear feeling. this, please. Yeah, and we've actually made like a lot of stuff that we're happy with, but we're like, we don't know what box it fits into. Maybe so, like, I think this is kind of like, oh, this is a journey, and maybe we can like start releasing things and share that journey with people versus just being like our new album drops this date, check out the new single or whatever. But <laughs> with this way we can like yeah. kind of like create an experience. Tell yeah. Tell a story. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how many tracks are we done with? Like I want to say 12, maybe even more. I think we've done more, but I think that they're in various states of like finished and unfinished and, yeah, finished, I think finished that, tracks we maybe have ten. I'd say that's pretty accurate. That's very exciting, guys. <laughs> so it won't be too much longer, hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> it's been I'm a long time coming. We're gonna stretch it out for like years. Yeah, I think we're playing the long con on this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not release a single for every song on the record? Well, basically, by the Mm -hmm. time we're done, we will have a multi-disc, insert disc four type situation. Yeah, Yeah. it won't fit on one disc with all the the cutscenes and things. get the anthology coming out after. Yeah, that's great. So for anyone listening, if you'd like to, you can pick up physical copies of these two singles that are out right now. There's a three and a half inch floppy diskette available on ephemera archives i believe I pronounced that correct yep. and that is your like your store your merch store is yep. that right That's my uh, merch Kevin? okay okay cool yeah so you can check that out and also there are uh single track lps available for airship theme if you like to get those and they're on your Bandcamp, world of equip.bandcamp.com yeah and those are shipped uh, through the Yeti, so you can order them on Yeti Records. Um, you can order it okay. on Mark's Bandcamp or my Bandcamp. They all go to the same pool, and they all get shipped from the same place. So, the um, 
they were we put them up for pre-order initially and they are just shipping out now so that's pretty exciting nice it's a, yeah it's a single-sided lp and it features a couple of remixes by some amazing artists we uh went on tour with in japan mm-hmm. uh kiss me nerdy girl and big wave exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um the uh 12 inch incredible artist was um it's a format that i have liked for a while um you know, I've, I've been into various little subgenres of dance music for, uh, you know, most of my adult life, starting in my teens. And I always wondered why, like, more Vaporwave people don't put out, like, dance 12 inches. Like, it seems like it would really work for future funk artists. But, you know, the idea is that it's, it's a record that's meant to be DJed and there's, you know, yeah. either one or two tracks on it and the grooves are nice and big and... Uh, super high fidelity that play at 45 RPM. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was kind of our like uh, weird Frankenstein creation of a, of a DJ vinyl. We wanted to keep costs down and choose yeah. like the most, I guess, cost effective items to produce a vinyl and be able to sell it for, you know, 12 or 13 bucks. Also, um, also, also in, uh, Bjork released a single for her la- last album, Utopia. The single was The Gate, or Gate, and uh, it was on a one-sided LP, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. It just seemed like, what? I didn't even know that was possible. Like, one side is just solid plastic with no grooves, and I just mm-hmm. don't know why, but I was really enamored with that format. And know, then, it's, actually, yeah. um, it's, it's not just, like, a cool thing, but it's, it's um, there's a bit of conversation about that format sounding better in the yeah. audiophile world uh, yes i love it i used to work at a record store and um they there are these really really crazy like bougie um high-end pressings of like classic jazz albums where they'll do uh like a three lp set where like you know there's like two or three songs per side the other side is blank and they're on like 200 gram vinyl and they've spent at 45 RPM. So the, like the object is to like basically get each song like its own bandwidth so that it can sound as good as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the science yeah, behind that, that. Is, is if you cut it at 45 RPM, there's more detail on the record, right? Cause it has to play faster to play the same amount of information. So there's, there's technically there's more bandwidth for music. If, uh, you cut it at 45 RPM. Mm. It's like the difference between, um, you know, watching something with like a yellow composite cable and like a HDMI cable. You have more information, uh, more bandwidth for, for musical information. Mm-hmm. It really does sound more a lot better for sure. Like, yeah. Um, I'm not so sure about seven inch records. They're often cut at 45 RPM, but with like a 180 gram, I don't know if that makes a difference, but having like the, the, the 12 inch yeah. 45 RPM with the flat on one side, I didn't know that the flat uh, besides me just thinking Bjork is cool would actually have <laughs> a, 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 a great audio file effect, but that is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like the weight of the Maybe album. It's, uh, it's the cool people that do it. You see, you guys are cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't catch on. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incredible artwork for that album too, the Airship. Oh yeah, That's, uh, good old Bonnie Chan. Bon- She's our Bonnie favorite. Chan. Yeah, she is our favorite artist. We love her so much. 
so d- she, my guess is, did a lot of your work as well. Your Curse Breaker stuff? She did, yeah. She did the artwork Curse for, Zero? Um, for Curse Breaker Gaiden and the Curse Breaker Zero triptych. And um, mm-hmm. I've had her do a couple other pieces for upcoming projects that um, I guess I'm not quite ready to talk about yet. But uh, yeah, she's... She's the best. She's super easy to work with. Um, I have been a fan of hers for quite a while, and I've kind of been like bugging her to to do some work for me for for quite some time. And I was so thrilled yeah. when she was uh, finally came through and did the the Cursebreaker Guidance artwork. So I'll always contact Bonnie anytime I can. Sometimes she's too busy to do commissions and projects, so you know we'll um, we'll go with one of the other. Uh, plenty of other talented Incredibly artists that talented. we know so yeah. yeah no her stuff is crazy like yeah for any i'm sure a lot of people listening to this know your work and have seen your album covers equipped but for anyone who's listening that hasn't please take a moment to admire the incredibly detailed and thorough artwork that goes along with your pieces <laughs> it's just phenomenal thank you incredible uh, okay, so uh, the new album. Do you want to play a song from it? Maybe Airship or... Sure. Uh, what, what's the other one? Which one's better, Mark? Severe Mountain Path? Ooh, I, I don't know which one's better. I mean, you can flip a coin. I like them both equally. Well, one's... Well, how about we play both? We'll just play one now and one later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay.
I want to unpack something before we dig into this song. So you guys, you've kind of created universes almost for your work um, on R23X and Equip, the world of Equip. And so this album is sort of like the intertwining or like these two stories crossing paths and meeting up and joining the same story. Is that correct or no? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we've kind of, uh, I mean, like any good storyteller, uh, we're making it up as we go along. Um, so we're, we, we kind of, uh, came to the agreement that this is, um, like a sequel, a mutual sequel to both I Dreamed of a Palace in the Sky and uh, Veltal. Is that mm-hmm. right, Mark? Mm-hmm. So I guess at the okay. end of um, at the end of I Dreamed of a Palace in the Sky, uh, I always kind of envisioned the final boss of that game to be the Cloud Generator, which um, I I don't think I need to get into too much like story details because I. I, I kind of want to keep that one in everyone's imaginations, you know, how it, okay. how it plays out. But um, yeah, it, basically the, my headcanon for I Dream of a Palace in the Sky is that uh, Equip is, is a normal civilian, you know, at, at the beginning of that album that um, basically falls asleep on like a train or a public space and then just starts dreaming about this palace but then can't exit the dream um and the dream kind of becomes reality and uh the through exploring the palace they kind of get to know themselves um it's a bit of like self-reflection that that shows the character you know what they need to do and at the end of the dream it's all kind of falling apart after the uh the cloud generator is dismantled and instead of you know waking up they actually get sucked into a portal like a black hole and then end up on this other uh, planet or, or realm or universe that R23X now happens to populate. Oh, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> so we've got a little bit of the story um, up on the Nameless Dreamers website, which is uh, uh, brilliant, by the way. Mark has done such a nice job on making that as authentically Web 1.0 as possible got kind of a geo cities vibe <laughs> definitely yeah i'm just pulling it up right now one sec what is it nameless streamers nameless oh, yeah. streamers uh, neocities.org oh yeah neocities.org fantastic oh yeah right you you sent it to me <laughs> super geo cities vibe thank you amazing amazing <laughs> Okay, yeah, so check that out and keep your eyes on that website, everybody. And hire um, Mark to make all of your bad website needs. It, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I probably take a really long time, but if you hire me to make your GeoCities website within one to three years, I will make something like that. Looks <laughs> like that. <laughs> you have my guarantee. <laughs> so, okay, you said, so you, uh, I dreamed of a palace in the sky. That was actually your first record under your equip project. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So what happened between that record and your newest record, which is, well, you've said you've kind of joined the realm that 20 R 23 X inhabits. So how do the other albums fit into the story and like 
do they happen in between the portal event going through the portal or is are these things happening in the realm of r23x and then you meet him so the, the synthetic core 88 is um it, it exists within the same universe but it might be a different totally different time um i always pictured synthetic core 88 to be like you know the main character flora um drew did most of the the narrative for that album uh which kind mm. of helped helped inspire me to write the tunes and uh the main character uh flora i always pictured her living in like um uh, maybe the 1980s and um she basically it's it's almost like a something happens to where the planet is um, almost completely unlivable and everybody it's like an alternate timeline thing where everybody has to leave planet earth because it's completely trashed mm-hmm. so flora is um like on a um like a passenger ship to leave earth um and this would be like i guess if she was born in the 80s this would be when she was like in mid-20s or something so um, we're going to imagine like an optimistic sci-fi future where we actually have transport ships in, sh- in like 2020. <laughs> so um, she gets stuck in like a cryo cryo freeze or whatever, and then like gets defrosted and it's like 31 XX, you know, it's, it's well into the future and mm-hmm. um, whatever new world she's landed on has been almost completely like obliterated by like a war. And she kind of has to, um, figure out how to work all of this like ancient technology and like giant mech suits and like all this evidence of like a past battle to like figure out you know where she's who she is and where she comes from and like what she has to do to to bring okay. balance to this new world so that's wow. that's kind of um a separate story from the main equip arc but it mm-hmm. could definitely conceivably take place in the same world maybe just super far into the future or into the past. Um, yeah. Well, as it I certainly has, has a different sort of aesthetic uh, that David Wise maybe was going for. And if you look at the back cover of the record, it's actually, you can see that it's a video game ca- jewel case, sort of with the, yeah. with the instruction booklet sort of in the back. And he says one to two players and there's a barcode and description <laughs> and all screenshots. And you can see like, you know, it's a the world that you've created. It's like eight bit. That's all thanks to Drew. He uh, he did the, all the packaging and kind mm. of the narrative, and um, he took basically what I had considered gear tests and uh, ter- made an album out of them. You know, I I was not really planning on releasing a lot of this stuff that I'd written for that record, and he listened to it and he was like, "You have to put this out." Yeah. And uh, convinced me to kind of turn it into a record, and then he he started coming up with story beats and stuff, and then um, that kind of uh, inspired me in turn to to write some more stuff from it. Oh wow! Uh, from that universe, nice. As far as Curse Breaker is concerned, uh, I haven't decided where that fits into the timeline yet. It's uh, oh, okay. you know, clearly you're, you you play as Equip again, but I'm not uh, even sure that it is the same Equip that is in. I dreamed of the palace in the sky. I haven't, uh, haven't gotten that far yet, <laughs> but, uh, I will continue to, you know, kind of flesh out the story and, uh, yeah. Find some George Lucas roundabout way of liking <laughs> them together. So. Mm-hmm. 
Well, no, it's cool to see it develop while you're doing it. Yeah, I don't think that... Speaking of George Lucas, like I, I feel like any... Like he didn't have any idea what the prequels were really going to be like when he was making the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that most most storytellers uh, figure it out as they go along, and then they just yeah. kind of like fill in the holes later or figure out some insane justification as to why something happened how it did. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, for me, and I maybe have said this in the show before, but I don't care what your story is. It's how you tell me the story that I care about, mm-hmm. the storytelling. Yeah. Is the thing is what matters. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mark's a big Star Wars fan too. Um, oh yeah. We're, yeah, we we've been bonding uh, lately over just talking and thinking about Star Wars constantly. Really. Yeah. I got back into it recently. Um, not that I had ever gotten out of it, but I, I I'm kind of going through a Star Wars phase right now. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the new films? Uh, I think Episode Nine is a travesty, and I think they almost have ruined the entire sequel trilogy yeah, with the, that movie. The last movie kind of sucks. And I liked The Last Jedi and I liked The Force Awakens, but the last movie um is so full of plot holes and inconsistencies that it's it's almost like a I don't know, it's like a comedy movie in a way, like an unintentional comedy. And it just doesn't really make that much sense. <laughs> Good, uh, good drinking movie if you want to have someone get drunk every time there's something dumb that happens. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Alcohol. Poisoning. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I watched that movie, and then that made me want to rewatch the prequels um, because I've always kind of had a negative opinion about them. Um, you know, of course, I, I really liked episode one when it came out because I was in fourth grade and it was just new Star Wars content. And I was so excited for it, and I loved it when I first saw it. And then as time went on, I think I started to look back upon it with disdain. And I was like, uh, I don't like Jar Jar. I don't like all of this weird political stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, now rewatching it after the sequels, I think they're great movies. Now you, I think now you love Jar Jar. Really well done. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even mind that, dude. You know, it's like, it's done. I mean, they're kids' movies, right? I'm yeah. going to make some people mad by saying that, but Star Wars movies are kids' movies, right? So, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's a, prequels. Yeah, it's comic relief. It's like they throw the socio-political, you know, trade trade dispute stuff in for uh, the adults that are into <laughs> politics, and then they into trade dispute Jar Jar and their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now I, I, mean, I actually think that the political aspect of the prequel trilogy is intriguing, and I, I, I really enjoyed my recent rewatch of the prequel trilogy. Uh, yeah. Sure, the, the dialogue isn't uh, the best, and I mean, at least the characters have motives, and there's like stakes on the line, mm-hmm. which is like what that's my biggest problem with uh, with the uh, Rise of Skywalker is uh, there's no stakes, you know they. They've got a fake-out death for Chewbacca, fake-out death for C-3PO. They bring back a perma-dead character with very little explanation, um, you know, Emperor Palpatine. And for me, that, that removes the, like, the whole rooting for the good guys element, you know, like, at least yeah. in The Force Awakens, I know it's controversial, but at least in Force Awakens, they killed off a major character. And it makes you, it's like Game of Thrones, where you're like, oh, all bets are off, you know? Like, who else is going to fall victim and you actually start caring about the story a little bit more when there's something to care about. Mm -hmm. But now it just kind of seems like Dragon Ball Z 
where yeah. like any character can be revived at any point in time. Yeah. And there's always going to be something stronger, even if you get the strongest. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> That's a pretty good summary of like what went wrong with a new movie for sure. But yeah. this isn't like, I mean, it's, I really like the last Jedi, but I agree. The, yeah. the, the like the most recent movie kind of makes you question like the, the motives of all three movies in the, in the sequel trilogy, I guess. Like, mm. yeah. What's interesting. What's going on there? Did they plan any of this from the beginning? I'm not so sure. Nah. <laughs> they made it up as they went along. Remix. <laughs> Reoccurring themes. But it's it's been interesting, kind of like gleaning gleaning storytelling techniques from the Star Wars movies, because I, I have all kinds of ideas for a narrative for the next album that'll kind of be more or less like a direct follow-up to Curse Breaker, which will be interesting. Yeah. To kind of like weave that in there. Um, so yeah, I think even even watching the bad Star Wars movies is uh, is good just for like um, narrative education. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, there's the writing is certainly genius sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, like Mark, how much of of your music is informed by narrative? Like when you start a record, do you? have like a story in mind or do you just like kind of come up with it once you've recorded a bunch of tracks? I, I, I try to keep that kind of thing in mind. Like usually I kind of start with a motif. Like um, you were mentioning earlier that this is a direct, our collaborative project to Nameless Dreamers is like a follow-up to I Dream of a Palace in the Sky. Well, and for me, it's it's kind of a follow-up to Veltal, which is an album that I did in 2016, which has some yeah. narrative hinting in it but overall i try to stick to like a motif of like oh like this is an, a jrpg about an amnesiac mech pilot and they're kind of lost in time and space and i use that as a jumping off point and it can sometimes lead into more like heavy-handed narrative uh but overall i think uh when I'm actually just starting, I don't usually have a clear cut idea. I just kind of feeling inspiration and then let what the sounds I'm making lay down, like kind of define my path forward. So sure. Yeah. I guess it depends on what I'm ingesting at the time in terms of media too. But, um, and at that time, you know, like I was playing, I sort of hopping back and forth between Xeno gears, tales of destiny two, And, uh, this awesome game called elemental gear bolt. So I was kind of just like oh, my yeah. head was in a weird spot, but I was like, sort of like, it's like not so much like, Oh, this is a game I'm playing. And, uh, this is the story. It's more like you're playing a game and you fall asleep with like the music still playing. And then the nightmare you have when <laughs> from your day of binging on this game is like what my music mm-hmm. is. <laughs> yeah, wow. Now I gotta ask: um, Did you play Elemental Gearbolt with the uh, light gun or the controller? Oh, I played it with a controller, a Dual Shock controller. Yeah, you didn't get very far. No, it's really hard with a, with a controller. I <laughs> can't fathom how you could possibly beat it with a controller. <laughs> oh, I didn't beat it. So what is what is this game? Elemental. It's like, a describe it. PS One light gun game. Um, it uses the the gun con controllers and uh it's it's like an anime anime shooting game i guess it's got visuals by the dude that did uh the anime um 
Vampire Hunter D, I believe. Um, pretty big okay. name. I'm, I'm not like super familiar with the dude's work, but it, the artwork is just like immediately familiar if you're a fan of like 90s anime. And uh, the story is, is very, very vague and oblique. You know, it starts off with like these two like warriors are like encased in crystal and they're being like moved. And then you see like a shadowy figure like activate them from afar. And you play as the these characters and they're just like these crazy, uh, I guess they're, I don't know, they're kind of androgynous. And I, they're women, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who, who knows? So. Who cares? Uh, but yeah, you just kind of roll through these really surrealistic environments and like shoot these mechanized like bugs mm-hmm. and kind of like steampunk esque uh, robots and stuff. It's it's a really really great game. It's it's mm-hmm. super fun. Yeah, here's here's I imagine the, the vibe is on point. Here's the the log line from it on the back of the case that I just picked off my shelf. Okay. It's in a fantastic world divided by class and race. Technology from a mysterious source has imbued a young prince with the key to unimaginable power. By means of a neural network computer fueled by the gray matter of unfortunate volunteers, he plans to conquer the world, replacing it with a new order of his design. So it's like weird, gritty anime sci-fi kind of vibe to it. Yeah. But I definitely, when making my work, I love the like weird log lines that seem really potent, but don't really necessarily make a lot of sense or mean anything <laughs> for sure mm-hmm. yeah i love that especially when you're done with the game you're like that's not really true yeah or you're just like don't really know what happened but you're just you're you're really moved emotionally but still really yeah, confused yeah. that's my favorite feeling yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole kingdom hearts series right <laughs> yeah oh geez emotionally moving but nonsensical yeah yeah that might be too much for me Tetsuya Nomura. Nomura has touched is uh, instantly falls into that genre. So mm-hmm. I'd we've say we're both about... uh, influenced by Tetsuya Nomura for sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about the new Final Fantasy game on the show a lot. I'm sure you have. Since it came out. Yeah, we'll probably skip over it on this show. <laughs> You're like, episode. I can't talk because... about it anymore. Please, please <laughs> spare me. If you talk about it, I will cut it out of the podcast. <laughs> no, I, I love it. The <laughs> listeners probably don't. <laughs> Not all. I haven't played it yet, um, but I I will eventually. I'm kind of like, I kind of want them to release the whole thing, you know, like yeah. all of the, That'd be the great. Story. Well, after be I careful what you like, wish for yeah. after what happened in this this chapter. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I'll wait for like game of the year, game of the decade edition, you know, with all the content and DLC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ten yeah. years from now. Yeah, <laughs> decade. We'll it. I can yeah. wait. I'm still playing games from you know 1994. Still lots <laughs> of games to play. Tons of games. An unlimited amount. Well, speaking of Final Fantasy, you guys played those games when you were younger. I know Kevin, you played six, seven, and eight quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I would say those are my favorites. Uh, I never, um, never had a console growing up till I was in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, we had a family PC and that was what I played games on. And a friend of mine had the PC version of Final Fantasy seven. <clears throat> nice. And, uh, he let me borrow it and I beat it on PC. And, um, yeah, at the time, like, I think after beating that game, that kind of spawned me into getting into like emulation and stuff so I could play some of the older installments. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, shortly after that, um, 
I got a PS2 and then I started kind of filling in the back catalog with the PS1 titles. You know, I got Final Fantasy Chronicles and Final Fantasy Anthology. And I played most of those classic FF games on the PS2, um, you know, because it's backwards compatible with PS1 games. Mm-hmm. And I think you've, correct me if I'm wrong, but taken a lot of that sort of world building experience you have from playing those games and adapted it into your own project. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'd be lying if I said that Nobuo Yamatsu wasn't like my number one musical influence, you know, yeah. across any and all genres. That's that's the, the music that just like plays inside my head <laughs> all the time. It's mm-hmm. uh, very near and dear to me. Yeah. And what about you, Mark? What uh, what games did you play growing up? I, I played a lot of like um, Final Fantasy for sure. Uh, I I had a computer. It wasn't very fast, but I did a lot of like Super Nintendo emulation. I think I remember playing like thinking like, oh, like after playing, seeing someone play Final Fantasy seven at a friend's house and like watching a bunch of the cutscenes, I, I kind of was like, oh, like the Final Fantasy game is cool. And then I don't know what year this was, but I remember going home and it was impossible to emulate that kind of thing at that time on a computer for me, at least. So I, would, mm-hmm. I got like Final Fantasy VI. Uh, I got Earthbound, fan translations of of games like uh, Bahamut Lagoon and stuff like that, and just trying to like experiment oh, yeah. with that kind of stuff. And probably wouldn't get very far into them. But, like I remember playing um, Final Fantasy IV ROM on my computer, and I, you go to this like cave, and it's full of like mist, and <laughs> something was wrong with like the the emulator so like certain textures would be like completely solid and i couldn't see anything oh, that's right in like cer- <laughs> certain parts of the game and like i remember like i would just play games as far as i could before they stopped working <laughs> like at that time right. but i remember friends talking about that and you have to like go into one of the settings and like disable one of the layers exactly because yeah the, i had to google uh, that didn't <laughs> uh didn't render right on on ZSNES or whatever yeah, it must have been ZSNES. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's very specific detail. But I feel like that wasn't exclusive to Final Fantasy IV. It was like either the game was too hard for me or I just, so I'd just move on to another one, but I was sort of absorbing them at various paces. But um, I found that like when you have an emulator and like when you have the ability to um, to play any game, it uh, your attention span for each game drastically reduces when the next one is a button click away. Totally. Yeah, uh, I have yeah. a problem with that actually still to this day. Oh, me too. Steam, fuck. There's Steam and <laughs> I mean I I've uh I have uh, pretty much every console, like major video game console from, you know, NES to current. And nice. um I started uh a couple of years ago diving down the the deep dark rabbit hole of uh you know, upscalers and um Oh nice you know scart cables and component video cables and uh uh flash carts so like almost all of my systems i now have like everdrive flash carts for uh, so it's the same problem i had all over again with the emulator days so though <laughs> i can uh I, I can force myself to commit a little bit more nowadays because i'll you know i'll read about a game that's like legendary last year i i really i heard a lot about the monster world series of games and I really wanted to play Monster World 4, which is a Japanese exclusive that was never released here. 
and I found like a nice English translation and I patched the ROM and I loaded it onto my uh, Sega Genesis EverDrive and I, you know, it took a couple months, but I actually beat the whole game, which is nice. And nice. It's nice for like uh, playing translated ROMs on real hardware. I beat like uh, Front Mission Gun Hazard. That was a game that I always badly wanted to play back in the day. And uh, it, it wasn't translated when I was like messing with emulators and stuff. And for me to be able to like play and finish the game on a flash cart on a real Super Nintendo. Right. Was really cool. Yeah, Kevin's house is like if you if you ever visit it in person, it's like a museum pre- <laughs> site where you can see like every console in chronological order, and everyone's equipped <laughs> with like an SD card you can like play any game on the real hardware with. Whereas right now, yeah. I'm I'm like playing Chrono Cross on an emulator on my MacBook with an N64 USB controller, and I told Kevin <laughs> that, and he was just like, I couldn't. I was just texting him, but I could hear him like sighing. <laughs> through the text <laughs> sacrilege yeah amazing i appreciate yeah. your respect for the sort of quality control for these classic games i try uh i do want to make it clear for for anybody listening that i'm not uh i've got nothing against emulation and i do think that it's a a super uh, unique and powerful tool and it's um essential for game archival purposes and i think yeah. that uh I think emulation is great. I think that all the like leaps and bounds that we've experienced in emulation over the past couple of years are just good uh, for people in general that are interested in video games that you know can't get a hold of a you know an Atari Jaguar or whatever, and but they want to play the original version of Aliens vs Predator. You know, it's it's there. You can play it. Most modern PCs can handle you know everything up to about I'd say PS2 at least PS1. You know, yeah, um, so GameCube. Yes, yeah. too. It's a very wide variety of games out there, and um, you know, if if yeah. left to the devices of the publishers, they will rot away and die. And we've learned from uh, the Nintendo's tactics, which is just like cease and desist everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way that like Nintendo is going to like re-release, uh, you know, like Star Tropics two. That like that's a first-party Nintendo title that we've gone. It, almost 30 years now without any sort of official release besides the NES original. So like, mm-hmm. how else are we supposed to experience these games? You know, not everybody has the luxury to be able to buy a classic NES and a copy of the cartridge. And not everybody even has composite inputs on their TV anymore. anymore. You know? Yeah. Hey, you so. can get GameCube emulators. I'm going to do that later today. Check out yeah, dolphin. dolphin dolphin. Okay. It might even be in the yeah, one that I use. It used. does Wii as well. Open emulator, open emu, or as I call open it, emu, open yeah. emu. Oh, s- um, there's semu, C E M U. That's a Wii U emulator. Oh, what? Yeah. I gotta get that one. Damn. But there's also Dolphin, which does Wii and GameCube. The, it's interesting because um, we're at a point now where you can um, improve old games through oh, upscaling. Wii. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, I, I use a hardware upscaler for my consoles, but, like, I'm not even going to try to pretend that, like, my N64 doesn't look like garbage still. Even, like, you know, I've, I've installed an RGB amp into it, and I've gotten a European SCART cable, and I use a Framemeister and an OSSC. Those are two wow. kind of high-end upscalers. And Amazing. it still, like, kind of looks like a blurry mess. You know, the text and the pixels are sharp, but there's... Uh, 
two anti-aliasing filters baked into the hardware of N64. And there's no comparing it. You know, you, you fire up a N64 ROM on a modern emulator and you can like add high resolution textures to the game. And oh, that looks so great. The yeah, double shit. layers of anti-aliasing and actually yeah. see the crisp, crisp games, you know, the way they um, maybe were intended to be seen. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's our Shouts out to all the people bringing these games back to life and building these emulators and like bringing it back to Final Fantasy VII, doing the Seventh Heaven mod and bringing back the game for people to experience without having to go through all that jankiness of the original. Like they, they've upgraded the background so they're not plain. You know, there's new character models. There's just there's a lot of great stuff, and uh, you know everyone's doing this for free. It's yeah, just, yeah it's, it's crazy. Incredible. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. Stuff too. It always blows my mind that those people are just like tirelessly working several hours a day to get a game translated just for the greater good of like people being able to experience that game. Yeah, and it's not like you're going to a lot of the times know who did it and you're not if you did it, no one's going to know, no one's going to thank you. You know, well, you, it's say shout out to AI Genesis right now. <laughs> They're a big uh, translator in the scene. Yeah, sometimes, but other times, you know, who made uh, ZedSNES, for example? Right. You know, you can probably go dig it up, but no one really is. Good point. You know, how active are these people right now? You know, it's hard to. I totally. Don't know. Yeah. Shouts yeah. out to all those people. It's uh, interesting to hear other people kind of talk about it nostalgia for emulators because i think that exists big time you know i've I've even seen like youtube comments where people are like wow this makes me uh this makes me puts me right back to where i was when i was six years old you know sitting in my grandma's den on her old computer that i managed to install a ZSNES onto (laughs) and i played i was trying to say that earlier in this conversation actually or as as we call it in canada zed snes (laughs) yeah But it's true, though. I think it's like more nostalgic than the actual consoles for a lot of people because sure. you have complete access to any it. game on your, right. especially also like during junior high computer classes, high school computer classes. They didn't really have ways of throttling your use, so you could just I mean, I download stuff. Yeah, like on a flash drive, so I could just play it straight off the flash there drive. There you go. In, in school, that's amazing. Just Alt Tab when the com- yep. teacher comes by. <laughs> really good at that yeah that's funny (laughs) but for real kids stay in school and do your homework and don't play games in class yeah (laughs) i remember we got a quake server running on all of our computers in class one time amazing that was was incredible the best yeah i took um actually took like cisco networking academy classes in high school and uh the teacher would give us our stuff that we had to do and then after we did it, he just kind of could care less about what we did for the rest of the time. So he usually whatever he had prepared for us would take about 10 minutes. And uh, one of them was just to get basically, you know, network all of the computers in the classroom. Like he had unplugged them all from the, the school's network. And we were to like use all of these routers that he provided and cables and get everything set up properly um, within like kind of a closed network. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we did it, we showed him that we had it working. We just started up a big game of StarCraft and like played for yeah. the rest of the, the oh, time, awesome. which was sweet. <laughs> Nothing like a LAN party. Yep. <laughs> StarCraft, WarCraft, Risk. Um, I think at 
senior year of high school no it was a uh, maybe junior year of high school they released the demo version of the pc version of halo the original halo so i installed that on as many school computers as i could <laughs> in class deathmatch <laughs> damn that's sick that was always funny because you could tell who had uh alt escaped it's like fighting somebody and then they just start standing there and you're like look over and the teacher's yeah. right <laughs> free kill yeah, exactly. It, it adds a, it's like heart playing on hard mode. <laughs> <laughs> that extra variable. Yeah. Well, great conversation so far, guys. I want to offer a quick bathroom break if anybody needs to go. Cool. I'm yeah. going to do so myself. I'm going to run down there real quick. All right, cool. We'll reconvene in five minutes. Sounds cool. good. See you Sweet. Thanks. Bye. What are you guys talking about? Ninja Turtles. Um, Foot Clan Warehouse. Foot Clan Headquarters. Yeah. You know it? Of Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And how um, George said he wanted the original Electronicon to like kind of match that vibe. Oh. Like a half pipe. Where there's like, yeah, like half pipe, you know, like arcade machines, you know, shows, yeah. performances, like all kinds of stuff kind of going on simultaneously, but it's just like a cool chill zone. That's super nostalgic vibe right there. Ninja yeah. Turtles 1, like... You think that they're all, like, of the same caliber, but, like, Ninja Turtles 1 is, like, really, really well done. It's well written. Yeah. It's dark. It's, like, well acted. It's dark. I mean, it's, um... It's crazy, but it's an independent movie, too. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, damn. Independent movie. And, yeah, I mean, they got Frank Oz to do the, the puppets and stuff, and, like, it's Dude, pretty high that's... budget for... A crazy undertaking yeah and then like two indie. is like you know it's like a major studio and it's not nearly as good as one yeah <laughs> it's like definitely a quality drop off yeah it's more of a three theatrical kids spectacle movie mm-hmm. just give it's a little bit more <laughs> yeah i really mm-hmm. like the ost of of the first movie though i, I occasionally find myself oh, yeah, listening right. to the like not not like the the soundtrack complete soundtrack, but like the the cues that are actually in the original score are like kind of friggin' cool, actually. Yeah, nice. I don't think I've ever listened to like the orchestral dude. It's like the incidental music, like the, the scene where like Shredder's coming in and it appears for the first time, and all the like Foot Clan are like up in like the like the grandstands watching him. That track mm. is really cool. Yeah, I'll send. I'm gonna mm. check it out. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommend. I think I might rewatch that film tonight. <laughs> nice. I don't think so- I've seen it on Blu-ray or anything either, so that'll be a treat. Yeah. Get to Sometimes. Re- <laughs> <laughs> Is the first one where they go to like April's like summer house? That's that one, right? Before, yeah. Like they they hide oh, they hide like away an like upstate uh, house. They like they kind of hide from the the Foot Clan. I'm pretty sure that's the first one, or is that the second one? No, that's the second oh, one. The oh. apartment, like the white apartment. No, Michael's just, like it's doing the, wax on, wax off. Uh, Michelangelo can't remember now. I think it's no, it's the I think it's the the first one, and it's um like after like Raphael gets attacked by the Foot Clan and he falls through uh in through the glass ceiling into uh, April's like antique shop, and then it catches on fire, and then oh, they have to yeah. run away to the upstate mm. New York, and they and Raphael's in a coma during that scene uh, when. They're like, how's Raph doing or whatever. There's this one scene with Donatello uh, where he's like, he's like laughing and he's, and uh, he's happy that Raph like is 
awake again yeah. and uh you can see the, the the man inside the costume in inside his <laughs> mouth for like two oh, frames no. oh, shit. and it's it's amazing it's just kind of horrifying <laughs> if you play it frame by frame but it's like it's very Whoa. very yeah ridiculous Damn. scene i'll yeah. never forget this the visual image like i haven't seen it in like two, maybe 15 20 years probably 20 of um april patting Raphael's head with a cloth oh yeah <laughs> remember that yeah like, why why do i remember that that's that's that's, so that's exact basically like one scene right around what i'm talking about so like you should definitely yeah. rewatch it tonight dude you'll you'll enjoy oh, I'm it still, man, i'm so happy <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great all right so let's get back into the show uh i want to play airship team if that's okay cool mm-hmm. okay diving into a song ladies and gentlemen this is uh I I probably looped this song a hundred times when it came out. And then yes. today, when I was you know just vibing your guys' music before the show, I usually do that. I had to loop it again like at least five times. Awesome, cool, such a killer track, guys! Like, yeah, I love it. All right, here it is: Airship Theme, Fast Air Travel by uh, do Do I want to say the Nameless Dreamers? Yeah, I mean you could. Um... <laughs> we kind of had, had thrown that around as like, all right, should we just call the project Aimless Dreamers? And yeah, I convinced Mark that it was more lucrative for Spotify bucks to just, you know, call it our separate names and combine them. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. It seems like it'd be easier for people to find our stuff, you know? Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do them all then. R23X <laughs> slash equip, also known as Nameless Dreamers, airship theme, fast air travel. Here it is.
And there's so much childhood that comes to mind and feelings and stuff when I listen to your guys' music. Thank you. Cool. So that one, I think, um, I think I started it, and then I sent it to Mark, and he took it in a totally different direction that I couldn't have imagined. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I, I wasn't really expecting him to, like, put a 4-4 kick on it, but, like, once I got it back, I was like, wow, this works so well. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't really add too much to it after he sent it back. I just kind of tweaked it, and I added the, like, sound effects and stuff, did, did a little bit more sound design stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of pictured it as like the beginning, like the airship is starting up, and um, you know clearly that's a sample of a lawnmower. But yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you can imagine that it's just the propellers of a of an airship firing up and starting to go up into the sky. And uh, Mark added a bunch of cool sound effects of like like chatter with like some drinks clinking and. Um, it kind of gave it a different feel, I guess, because I was picturing, like, maybe just two people on an airship, on an airship, like an RPG party. But then I heard Mark's version, and I was like, "Oh, this is kind of just like a, it's like a fairy almost. Like, there's a bunch of people on here, yeah, besides us, and we're like being transported on this airship, and you know, maybe we're not flying it. Maybe we're just like sitting down and kind of like enjoying some drinks and yeah, looking out the window. I pictured a bigger vessel for sure. Yeah, yeah." Yeah, that's a. Like you're still at the beginning of the game, and you don't have your own craft yet. <laughs> yeah, you're just like yeah. going from a one location to the next, kind of still following the the storyline or whatever. Before you have free reign of the world map. Yeah, like the boat from Junyun to Castellasol. Yes, awesome. <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, it definitely makes me feel like I Sid always comes to mind when I'm hearing this, and the High Wind, of course. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Well, you guys really nailed it. Pardon me? Highwind is one of the coolest airships in the FF series. It really is. It has a boardroom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's my selling point. (laughs) I was amazed in Final Fantasy VI how you could, like, go inside the airship. And um, I remember uh, downloading RPG Maker when I was in uh, middle school and um, downloading, like, a rip of the tile set for the airship. And, like, fleshing it out and, like, making additional rooms and, like, adding doors where there weren't doors before. And, like, you know, I, like, added, like, a like a whole casino into the airship and all this, like, extra stuff. And I, I just thought it was so cool that you could play with the existing tile sets for that game and mm-hmm. make your own stuff out of it. At this point, I think I might have, like, four or five songs that I've made called Airship. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> this <Yeah. might> be, <laughs> wow. Because, uh, it yeah, it's a great, it's a great part of <laughs> video games that want to keep reliving. But I, yeah. yeah, but this one is like, it's like the best one probably. I mean, think about <laughs> that, that, that first sense of like being able to leave the opening area and like that explore exploration freedom, you know, that's kind of, I think what, what I was going for with the initial track. And then Mark definitely like compounded that, that feeling onto it. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned of going inside the airship for the first time, same with final fantasy seven, like you press triangle and now you're on the the bridge and you can explore the whole thing. I think there's that point in an RPG where you've kind of done a bunch of stuff and you're, you're collecting all this, this, doing the side quests, collecting all the weapons and stuff like that. And you find yourself almost forgetting about the like 
details and the nuanced like cool areas so like when you go back and replay it you're like oh you can actually go down into like each part of the airship and go back onto the deck where there was like one cutscene in the game but you can just go back there it's at so any cool. point in time and chill you know and mm-hmm. they're kind of like buildings i guess <laughs> like a little apartment building in the air like yeah hmm. i remember being like furious when final fantasy 10 came out that there was no like free moving world map Controversial, i remember thinking sure, that, yeah that that was like the end of the final fantasy series <laughs> and that they were all garbage after that yeah they certainly changed a lot at that point but uh i've been nine restarted 10 uh i never beat it but i restarted it like last year and i've actually really been enjoying it it's a great game it is it's 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 fantastic it's very linear but i find nowadays with the um influx of open world games that i kind of crave a linear like finishable story that's the thing like i was going to mention this before actually games um you could so easily get lost and not know what to do in a game i thought you were going to mention that um mark r 23x <laughs> when you were saying the games would break on you sometimes because of the emulation mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. um i was thinking you were going to say because you didn't know what to do there was a, a little bit of that, that too like with older games yeah. it was more of just like a lack of narrative or guidance so you kind of just had to go to the next village and maybe an area that had enemies that were like too difficult to beat you'd be like okay i'm not going to go there now i'll go to this other place see what's there <laughs> but um actually and i played the witcher 3 a couple years ago and i found myself having to like relearn like Look it up. how to <laughs> like play a game where you can go in any direction and do whatever you want um like mm. kevin was saying it's like it is kind of fun to have something on rails like where you're just absorbing yeah. the beautiful backgrounds and stuff like that so many games I, to play these days it's like i don't, I don't love open the time world to figure games. it out if i find out like a new game that i really want to play is an open world game it almost bums me out a little bit i'm <laughs> like uh, uh just another one of these like endless games where there's like crafting mechanics and like cooking and like all this mm-hmm. stuff that i didn't sign up for <laughs> yeah mm-hmm well, I gotta be so honest, it is. my most controversial opinion, I hate crafting mechanics. I don't ever want to craft anything in any game ever. It's like work. Yeah. It's work. I'm it's right like, up there with you. I want to open a chest and get the get the sword, you know? Like, I don't want to have to find, like, 19 separate objects that synthesize into one object, which you need to combine with five other objects that are only rare monster drops. It's like, it increases the torture of, like... <laughs> A rare drop you know <laughs> well final no, fantasy uh, 10 though like uh i in final fantasy 10 though like for me with the shift from pre-rendered backgrounds to 3d and then also no world map that was like a lot to take in at the time it was like for sure kind of hard to accept i think <laughs> i still just love pre-rendered backgrounds and i think that more games should use them um they so nice. i i recently played the pc um hd port of the resident evil remake uh from the gamecube and everything's been um all the character models are new you know really really nice looking they did their best to like upscale all of the backgrounds from the gamecube version and i think they look pretty darn good yeah and the game is just so beautiful and so dark and moody like it it just puts you somewhere that none of the other games in that series do and uh, I think a lot of it is in part to the fixed camera angles and the pre-rendered backgrounds. They're just so incredibly detailed. And I remember at the time thinking that that was like 
the best graphics I had ever seen. And even now, I, I think they still hold up really, really well. And I think that, that it, it just has a certain feel like that other games um, don't. And yeah, I, I'm, I would love it if they made another Final Fantasy that was like using pre-rendered oh, Could you imagine, dude? That would be like, oh, that'd be the best thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. Playing Chrono Cross right now, all the backgrounds are like paintings and they're just so pretty. I'm just like screen capping. I have like gigs of screen caps of it right now for like, desktop backgrounds and shit and it's like it's a piece of art oh. it's really really cool yeah in that regard that's yeah. like the art at time to to draw a scene and it's it's art you know for real you know maybe, i think more so than making an environment out of polygons i'm pretty sure final fantasy 7 remake has pre-rendered backgrounds like pre-drawn what wow not, really not all the time but um i don't want to spoil it for, uh, I've, already beaten, I've it. beaten it. I also uh, spoiled it for Kevin. Just <laughs> <laughs> spoiling the listeners at this point. For for the listeners, well, there's a part where you're climbing something, mm. and it's there's a very nice oh. sunny view. Yeah, I know it. It's like orange or yellow looking. That's sort of, like a what do you call that? That's like a parallax or like skybox or what do you? It's like where the it's like a high res painting in the very in the the distance where you would have no depth of field. Yeah. So it's, it's a little yeah. bit different, but it's definitely like okay. I've seen, I know there's a couple of scenes like that that are I don't want to spoil it for anybody either. Now yeah. that you've mentioned it, after, <laughs> after playing the Resident Evil remake, I immediately started Resident Evil Zero, which was uh, like the prequel that they released on GameCube after they, you know, released the the RE make. Yeah, and uh, that is probably the most recent game that I've experienced that has pre-rendered backgrounds. And that game, uh, the backgrounds on that game. I don't know if they just had higher quality assets or what, but they scale up like so much better than the the RE make, and they look just phenomenal. Especially when there's like something moving, like a stream or like a machine, and uh, especially seeing it with the you know new HD character models for PC, um, it, it does not run at 4K, but it'll run at 1440p, and it looks just gorgeous. Like I, I I've never experienced a full you know over 1080p game that has pre-rendered backgrounds mm-hmm. yeah I, I is it scary though you know, say what you will um i mean the scary part is that there's just areas where you walk into a door and you just get killed immediately and you, you know you hope you saved because <laughs> <laughs> uh, as for jump scares there's a couple in that game it's not uh, i don't think that any of the resident evil games are particularly terrifying but um there's definitely a couple jump scares in zero that uh my roommates laughed at me when i was playing <laughs> yeah Resident the speaking. Zombies, man. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, I misheard. Oh, I said the leech zombies. The leech zombies are terrifying. Oh yeah. God. I was gonna say, speaking of Resident Evil, when I first came across your project, Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, and still to this day, actually, sort of, but in a different way, obviously, because like I know what you look like and all that, mm-hmm. but equip always 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 makes me think of resident evil that's funny resident you evil 2 the, uh, specifically the uh, footstep sound effects are all ripped from resident evil yeah nice and, uh, and i dream of the palace in the sky those are yeah. all resident evil one footstep sound effects nice hopefully well, the capcom doesn't sue me for that now <laughs> yeah just because like equip it's <laughs> it's such a perfect word to encompass your project and i know you've sort of changed or developed and transformed the project a little bit as you've been doing it 
but it just fits like so on point to encompass like a JRPG or like being in a world where you actually you equip some shit. <laughs> it, like when when else is that word used? You know, it's it's so good. Totally, I'm glad you think so. Yeah, man. I should totally make a survival horror <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> you should. That would be that would be perfect. Everyone loves the save music in uh, all the Resident Evil games. Yeah, which is kind of RPG like in itself. It's always like you know a harp, like a solo harp with some uh, strings. It'd be perfect. You could put that in the middle of the album. It's like, okay, we're at the save point now. It's not dissonant. Yeah, yeah. Everyone can just calm down for a moment. Totally. <laughs> Take some green herbs. Yeah. <laughs> I think Capcom actually tweeted out on their official account on 420. Um, they posted a screenshot of Resident Evil. And I was like, will you take the green herb? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good on them. Yeah. So I want to know where your each of your musical backgrounds take shape as you grew up. Maybe we can start with you, Mark. What bands you listened to, you know, what inspired you to start making music, how you got into Vaporwave? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, like, I, I actually was, uh, I've been playing, learning music in school, playing alto sax and keyboard pretty much from grade seven or eight onwards. And uh, nice. I, I had in the school band or anything. I was in the school band. I was in the jazz band, R and B band. And uh, nice. my high school had a very prestigious R and B band. Um, I actually oh. didn't make it into the main band. I was in like the B band playing uh, alto saxophone. And um, mm-hmm. I felt a little bit like uh, left out from that. And during this time I was um, oh. like, it was, we covered a lot of Motown hits and stuff like that. And, uh, I, it's fun. Um, but like, I was kind of like at this time playing a lot of video games and, uh, watching films and thinking like not outside the box, but like I was listening to a lot of albums, like, uh, orchestrated albums, downloading them, like Final Fantasy, um, for Celtic Moon, stuff like that. I was really hungry for finding like covers and official releases of, of music from video games and kind of like mm. those Celtic albums are great. They're so cool. I don't even yeah. like I don't even like Celtic music, but those are phenomenal. <laughs> exactly. So I felt like I was kind of building this like collection of music and drifting further and further away from uh like what my education in music was and what like sort of sort of prescribed goals would be like, Oh, this is how you're going to make it as a musician. This would have been around 2004, 2005 by the time I was graduating thinking I was actually kind of done with music. Um, but at that time I graduated sort of started a couple ska bands, tried to play in a punk band and stuff like that. Sweet. <laughs> I loved ska. I love ska. That was like my formative yeah, years. <laughs> Don't lie. So you still do. I still love ska. Yeah. The fourth wave of ska <laughs> is <laughs> coming. Yeah. Mark, <laughs> up, yeah. yeah I, I love ska, but um, you know, even at that time I was like, it was the third wave of ska it was like, I was r- coming off the high of the third wave of ska, but I was like thinking, Oh, you know, like I'm looking for those deep second wave ska, like British albums and stuff like that kind of like a ska snob or something i didn't really like that but that's sort of where it was going (laughs) i'll have to message you about that privately (laughs) awesome 
So like, and then I, I don't want to say I quit music, but I felt like I didn't have the skills to be a studio musician and I didn't necessarily, um, like enjoy a lot of the music that was being offered to me to, to either play or to listen to even. Mm-hmm. So like I found myself mm-hmm. listening to video game music to film scores and, uh, and then, uh, I ended up starting to score like short films of my friends and stuff like that. And, uh, probably like 2009, 2008, 2009. And, uh, that just self-taught with the, with the scoring and mixing and all that. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much Using like, a the first, yeah, exactly. At that time, it, somebody asked me like, can you score this film and score was like, can you just do some music that I can put in this film kind of thing? And I used yeah. garage bands and, uh, nice. it was great. And, um, after, after that, I, you know, like started to really take that seriously thinking, Oh, this is a way I can use my skills that I've just sort of self-taught skills of like composing mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, like I have an outlet for music that didn't require me to like be ripping and shredding on a guitar, or, like soloing or something like that. So yeah. I found it really fulfilling and, uh, ended up sort of turning that into a career, which is, uh, so I'm giving the really abridged, like confusing version. I'm really bad at telling my own story, but, um, for, for those of the, you that don't know, uh, Mark has done several really, really cool, amazing film scores that, um, I mean, I, I don't think that they are too dissimilar from your work as R23X. I think that they're, to me, they're, it's clear that they're, you know, the same person, and I think that more of your like film influence sneaks into your work than you think. Well, I have uh, sampled my own film scores in a lot of pretty much sure. every R twenty three X album. But uh, totally. awesome, yeah. And that's feature films, shorts. What I've yeah, I've done I've done I, three feature films now, um, and wow. uh, I've done a bunch of shorts, and I've done some commercial music too, um, and. Yeah, it's it's so that's that side of the career really sort of got me back into music, and uh, it wasn't until 2013 or 2014 that I kind of discovered vaporwave. I guess like uh, um, I actually was just riding my bike and I found a VHS tape on the side of the road, like oh wow, in, in a free box. Like it was like free stuff, and there's a v- there's a bunch of VHS tapes in there, but at the very top of the pile, there was like uh, one that like I'm not even kidding. It, on the spine in like mechanical pencil, it said uh, FF7 Eris death scene, like scrawled like in like the child's writing. I was like, what the fuck? This is awesome, man. And I look at the, the front yeah. and it's like, it's like somebody would like, I can send you a picture of the tape. I still have it. It's like Parasite Eve and like Chrono Cross and FF789, all the sick cutscenes that someone taped, I guess, probably like 10 years before I found this box. Yeah. And uh, maybe 20 now. 15 tops and uh yeah so i took it home actually bought a vcr that day and just sat down and like ate a pizza and watched the whole tape started with the the intro cutscene to final fantasy 7 and it had all the best cutscenes from like every great ps1 game on one tape and this was what 2008 this was probably 2012 yeah okay or maybe early 2013 and i just I, I like watched this tape and I was just like, this is the sickest shit ever. And I just started yeah. posting stills of it when that's how I started my VHS stills account. Um, oh, okay. I started a Tumblr called VHS stills.tumblr and I was just posting yeah. like stills. <laughs> I said stills like 12 times now. 
was just posting those and uh people in the vaporwave community at that time i guess caught wind of it and started approaching me asking can you record this on vhs um i love your work what filter are you using i'm like it's just vhs <laughs> it's a vcr and yeah a lot of people reached out to me and including uh george clanton actually reached out to me for a, a cover and artwork for Bandcamp and stuff like that and like and i was did, like oh did you do heartbeats no but i uh i posted a still from final fantasy 8 of yeah laguna and rain embracing and uh mm -hmm. it, it the cover for heartbeats is kind of based on that <laughs> still <laughs> i don't want to speak for george but it's we definitely talked at length about it and he ended up going with that still instead of mm -hmm. uh, Final Fantasy VIII. I was wow. like, I don't know if you want it to be about this video game. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, these people are reaching out to me. I didn't know who anybody was or what was even going on on the internet. But it was like, I was like, wow, it opened up a world to me. And it was just so cool. I was like, oh, I can record music on VHS and it'll sound really glitchy and awesome. And that's, so I made the song Dry Summer, which is just completely mastered on VHS. And it's all warbly and awful sounding. And, uh, it got attention, I guess, in the Vaporwave community. And from then on, I'd been releasing music that was kind of spawned from this discovery on the side of the road of VHS tape of video game cutscenes. That's kind of like my entire mm -hmm. project in a nutshell. It's like, what if a bunch of great cutscenes from PS1 JRPGs are recorded on a VHS tape? I got to say that that's the coolest origin story I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Felt a little bit like Destiny, I guess, finding this tape in the rain. Yeah. It is Destiny. <laughs> yeah. Had I not found that tape, so, I never would have met you, Kevin. That's fucked up. <laughs> that's incredible. Whoever that random kid was, thank you. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, <laughs> finding the tape made me, like, um, start recording new video games on VHS. So, like, mm. probably within a few months of that, uh, finding the tape, I was like, oh, I'm going to, like, record over this and record uh, Zelda Skyward Sword directly from my Wii and, like, take stills of this like what that'll blow someone's mind what if zelda skyward sword <laughs> was recorded on vhs why and uh but that was new <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was new at the time and uh for me at least and yeah so like i love that game. yeah that's that's sort of how that started there's there's more there i skipped over a lot but i mean not my whole mm -hmm. life story or anything but that's so crazy i had that thought once too and i brought it up on the podcast there was this hatsune miku video from one of her, one of those PS3 games, PS4 games, uh, the Vocaloid ones. I forget what mm -hmm. they're called. Diva, Project Diva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, man, it, it was by Big Wave, I think. And I was like, just really digging the vibe. And I was like, man, I want this to be like lo-fi though. <laughs> and I was thinking, yo, let me put that shit on VHS. Never yeah. got around to it, but that's crazy that we all have this have these thoughts like you guys both creating characters for example you know just yeah you know, such a small world it's so great that we have the internet where we can meet like like-minded people who are into the same aesthetic it's, it's the desire to create a character was definitely influenced by mark already having one for sure i will uh my uh teal haired uh, yeah my, yeah yeah i mean Nina uh, Matsumoto did your first avatar, right? Yeah. In fact, talking to George about like, oh, you know, that conversation, do you want to use this copyright still from Final Fantasy VIII? Kind of like for me sparked like this thought, like, okay, I can definitely make new content 
on a VCR. So I, sure. for Veltal in 2016, that I, you know, I work with a lot of artists from my work with Yeti Records and Nina Matsumoto is a amazing comic artist. She's done Avatar, The Last Airbender comics, Simpsons comics. And I was like, yo, can you draw this like uh, character for me? Uh, at, like teal hair, like JRPG amnesiac mech pilot. I gave her a whole write up and uh, some I actually built a mock up of the character in RPG Maker as well. I'm like, can you make it look something like this? And you know, she really drew this amazing character based on my idea. And then I recorded it on VHS and you know, took a picture of it on my two my 12 inch uh, Panasonic. Uh, CRT. CRT and I just like that was yeah. the album cover and it really sort of came together nicely. Um, Amazing. It's so iconic and emblematic. And that is the first release where you used that avatar, right? That's the birth of the R23X avatar. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Sorting out my deep lore here. Thank you. <laughs> so and then re- Regen came after that, right? Yep. That that iteration of R23X was illustrated by uh, Coinbox who's a uh, uh, that's the alias yeah, of an artist, um, very good anime artist, and uh, that I know. They don't actually do anime; they just draw an anime style <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. So, how did you come up with the name R twenty three X? R twenty three X. It's actually uh, the name of an of an airship. <laughs> oh uh, wow! Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's the um, the name of a of a like a training airship. I think post. Either post World War One, pre World War Two, British training airship. If you Google search R twenty three X on eBay, you'll find my records at extremely marked up prices, and then models of an airship called R twenty three X. If you scroll down far enough, yeah. Um, maybe you guys wow. can edit the Wikipedia page of the airship to be about me, and then I'll have a Wikipedia page. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's that, and uh, also kind of. So that's it's. I'm technically named after that. I was like, oh, what are some real world airship names? Um, but also, I think it kind of sounds like a mech code name slash call sign. So that's the other thing. Everybody always wants to do R thirty two X. Like it's a yeah, I know. Like a Sega two X. A lot of people think it's just that. I think <laughs> that's okay though. That's crazy. You mentioned mechs too, because Equip, you have your mech sort of in a synthetic core. Yeah, yeah. I said, sure. Yeah, the mech stuff is all, yeah. all Drew's idea. Um, I probably wouldn't have thought to go in that kind of a direction, but once he started sending me, like, art, and uh, especially when he started sending me, like, the, the fake screenshots on the back of the packaging, I was just like, yes, 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 this is perfect. <laughs> Actually, my VHS nice. still of those screenshots, one of them is, at least at the time, it was my most popular post. <laughs> wow. People love that. It, they were like, "What game is this?" <laughs> it's like, dude, that's awesome. Just link to the the release. This is the game. Yeah. <laughs> the YouTube out. comments are great. On uh, I think it was like Vapor Memories upload of Synthetic Core eighty eight. There's several YouTube comments that are like, "All right, so when's the game coming out?" Or like, "What? <laughs> like, what is it?" And that's um, it's kind of originally what I wanted to do was like not even release it under a quip, but like. Um, try to market it as like some unreleased '90s uh, VGM OST, and like try yeah. to fool people into thinking that it was actually like a real canceled game. Uh, I know um, somebody, like one of those vaporwave artists. Uh, I think Culture, uh, Culture with a V, 
they did yeah. a project uh, called like fuck what was it called Pleasant Spectre, and it's like uh, supposed to be like an unreleased Dreamcast game that never came out, and like this is the score that has been unearthed years later. And I definitely fell for it when I like first listened to it. I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. An unreleased Dreamcast score, like being unearthed today that like kind of sounds vaporwavy. Like that's awesome. (laughs) And then uh, I I did a little bit more digging and I was like, oh yeah, clearly this is like fake. I can't find any record of like the game or the development team or this dude's name or anything anywhere. And uh, eventually like figured out who it was. Well, that right there uh, really for me, captured my imagination with a lot of the early days of me discovering Vaporwave. It was like not knowing. I mean, that's really Half the magic of the early days of Vaporwave are not knowing who anybody yeah. is and finding these anonymous projects and like wondering how much of it is sample-based and how much of it is like originally composed. And that that really drew me into the world of Vaporwave is that anonymous, mm. anonymous factor, you know, that has definitely been lost, but... Um, I don't think that it could be recreated in this day and age anymore. It's it's maybe by was a thing big that, brands they can somehow co-opt that. <laughs> I, uh, I just think that, that the time for anonymous producers is kind of over, and like it's not really like I don't know. I don't think it's really like as hyped as it used to be. People don't care about care about it as much anymore because there's such an oversaturation of music. But I do think people care about it for the people that are they continue to be consistent with it like telepath for example for sure for sure or blank banshee yeah 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 they're definitely the two figureheads that are best at concealing their identities mm-hmm. yeah i kind of uh, know she's not oh, pardon me so, i was gonna say i know she's not in the vaporwave scene but uh that producer limbo you know who i'm talking about you know limbo um no she's, she wears a little cat mask on like instagram and stuff mm-hmm. and every time she posts pictures it's like uh you know, she's got the mask on, but there's always like a bunch of people like face reveal, please, please, please. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. That's when, once you get, you get the face reveal and people, all right, they're like, all right, I need the, that same sense of stimulation or whatever somewhere else now. Right. Go elsewhere. You got to keep them. I originally the seat. to stay anonymous as long as possible and kind of like, didn't, you know, there was a while where I was kind of like scared of the internet, I guess you could say. Like I didn't want any of my photos to be online. Um, the idea that like anybody could take anything that I posted and repurpose it or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like I, I definitely got like freaked out from the internet for a while and did not ever want to associate like my name or face uh, with Equip or play mm-hmm. live shows ever. And um, uh, George Clinton kind of helped me out of that one. He was like, well, nice. you you can't really get away with playing shows like totally anonymously anymore. Like somebody's going to see it, whether it's like the person that's you're playing with that opens for you or like, you know, the promoters or whatever, like it's just like not something that you can really sustain if you're playing live. And also too, that people just like to relate to a face. So yeah, yeah. uh, it is is certainly different now. That's for sure. People seem to somehow find out my name on like discogs or something. I was like, should I reveal my name and face? And then I guess people already figured it out. Kind of like, uh, <laughs> oh man. It's too late. <laughs> Cause I mean, you probably associated your name with like VHS stills or, or video 20 XX at some point. Yeah, maybe. And then some put two and two together. Darn it. Yeah. That was many years ago at this point. So it doesn't yeah. matter anymore. Sneaky, sneaky devils. <laughs> 
Uh, so what about you, Kevin? Your journey through music over your childhood and whatnot? Well, I've always um, been interested in music from an early age. And uh, I credit my parents with that. They were always uh, playing music around the house. Um, records and CDs and tapes, you know, they were kind of... I was growing up in the, the time where all formats were kind of, you know, valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I... I Started taking guitar lessons in uh, like second grade, um, but it's it, I kind of had a similar experience with Mark, where it was like I didn't like the source material that I was being made to like play and practice. Like my mm-hmm. teacher just wanted me to do a bunch of classical stuff, and I wanted to play rock and roll. And I like didn't understand why my electrical guitar didn't sound like um, you know the Beatles or like. <laughs> Uh, any of the other music that I was into. And, you know, of course, I didn't have a distortion pedal. Um, and that was that was the missing link there. But I always wondered, like, how do you make an electric guitar sound like like that? You know, yeah. where it's like mean sounding and like chunky. And um, so I, I gave up the guitar in like fourth grade. And um, I don't know why I was compelled to do it, but I... Uh, started playing cello in fourth grade in the school orchestra. I think there was a, like a school assembly or something where they had the orchestra come out and play. And they said that they were like going to open up um, slots if you wanted to join orchestra the next year. Mm. Uh, and I, I always wanted to play the double bass, but I was too short for even the smallest double bass at that time. Uh, so they gave me a cello and... Um, yeah, I just kind of stuck stuck with the cello all the way through uh, high school. Played uh, in middle school orchestra and in high school orchestra, and I took private lessons in high school. And uh, I guess I, I mean, I was always interested in um, all kinds of music. You know, not just classical or uh, a rock, really. And uh, it, like, I was always into video game music at a young age, and. I always liked the music that came out of our like old IBM PC. And now I understand that it was like, you know, FM synthesis that I was listening to. Uh, I just didn't know what it was. And it just sounded so like alien to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of years into like watching my cousins play RPGs and stuff and, uh, and star Wars music and like, uh, anime music and cowboy bebop you know you got yoko yoko ano and the tank theme song for cowboy bebop and seatbelts um yeah seatbelts that's what i was searching for uh yeah like the all of that stuff just kind of like i've always been a big music head you know my parents got me an ipod when they were like newish and i didn't really know what it was until they explained like oh you could put all your cds on here and then you don't have to have your cds on wow. you with your disc man anymore and i was like what <laughs> and i i couldn't it was like a second second or third gen it was like the first 40 gig model and i remember just being blown away because at the time i think we had an 80 gig hard drive on our computer and i couldn't like fathom the fact that there's this device that i could put like half of my computer storage capacity on yeah and that that kind of opened the floodgates even more like i started like going through my dad's old CDs and like ripping all of his like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and the rock stuff that he wasn't as into anymore, but he still had CDs of. And then I started like borrowing CDs from friends and um, like my neighbor, 
uh, was really into like indie rock and he started like letting me borrow CDs by like the strokes and the yeah, yeah, yeahs and like the the hives and stuff when that was like hot in like 2003, 2004, um, Interpol, Mm -hmm. I got really into, sweet. um, started like, uh, he started driving up to Chicago to go see shows and he was a little older. He was like my friend's older brother. Um, but he, you know, he had a good track record. He's a good, good kid. So my parents trusted him to like take us up to Chicago for shows and stuff. And, uh, yeah, that, I just got like really totally entranced with like live music and, um, indie rock. And then I, you know, I started getting into, uh, hip hop and electronic music more in high school. And, uh, you know, especially with the advent of like, uh, torrenting software and like LimeWire and stuff, I started like getting old video game soundtracks that I'd never been able to find on CD. And I remember like downloading the Katamari Damacy soundtrack, like song by song. Yeah. Every single night I would set up a new song to download on our like 56k <laughs> connection. And uh, that was what, like 2005, you know, it, it seems like, seems like a really long time ago, but I guess it wasn't. <laughs> but, that game yeah, that, that's, it's an yeah. incredible how quickly things have changed. Right. You know, like I from mean, the eighties, nineties, two thousands, early twenty tens, and then now it's like fucking gigabit shit everywhere, fucking land cables running up to the roof, baby. We got shit on lockdown. <laughs> I get so upset like, if like literally. I can't download a file instantly, you know, I've I'm yeah. I've become so spoiled. What it's is funny? This? Like what I'm only getting like two megs a second download speed. Like back then I would have been like, Oh my god, I downloaded an MP three in a couple seconds. Like yeah. now I'm like, What? This it took me future. like took me more than a minute to download like a 4k <laughs> movie like what the fuck yeah <laughs> but, yeah eventually um like in high school i um uh, i met mike he's i still live with the dude his name's al um he's a great friend of mine and he was in my high school orchestra class and his parents were moving to san antonio and he didn't want to like quit school mid senior year so my parents actually let him move in with us into our guest room wow um, and he, uh, he was in all kinds of other music that I had never really gotten into before. Like, uh, you know, he's into like grindcore and death metal and stuff like that. Nice. Kind of the harsher spectrum of music. So he opened me up to a bunch of new stuff and we were always just like going, driving around in his car. And like, uh, I would burn off CDs from my computer and we'd just kind of like bounce new music off of each other all the time. And, uh, I, I honestly didn't even know like what I wanted to to do beyond high school. And he was like, well, I'm going to try to become an audio engineer and I'm going to Columbia in Chicago and I'm going to try to get a degree in audio engineering. And at the time it seemed so promising. Like I, uh, it was what, 2007, I think. Um, and yeah, I was like, okay, well, this is kind of what I wanted to do too. So, um, I did go to Columbia with him. He ended up switching gears midway through and, um, ended up finishing, school at another school but i uh got a bachelor's degree in um sound design and production from columbia and uh like quickly discovered that the industry is just had totally shifted towards home recording and i don't know at 2007 i didn't really know that many people that were home recording and it it was still like if you want to get your band recorded you have to go to a studio and you have to pay an engineer and that was like the skills that I was interested in learning was was becoming that person that could you know record your band, and yeah. I um, 
I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm well versed in all that stuff, you know, microphones and, uh, consoles and, um, studio recording. That's like, that, that's my, that's what yeah. I have a BA in. And then like, once I graduated, I just totally, I mean, I had also been using a DAW at home for a while, but I, it just kind of dawned upon me that like those jobs were so coveted and protected that like, there was no way I was going to get into it. You know, I dropped off yeah. so many resumes. I took signed up for so many unpaid internships. Um, and at that point I just started to want to become a part of music as a whole and not necessarily like being so targeted into recording. So um, while I was in college, I got an internship with uh, thrill jockey records. I always loved them. I loved the band tortoise at the time and just like really wanted to get into that kind of scene. And, um, it was interesting. Yeah. I, I learned a lot about how, a label is structured and how things happen, you know, and it, the operation was a whole lot smaller than I had imagined it being. And, uh, it, it, it kind of just started to like lay the groundwork for like how to move music. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're an experimental label and they're pushing experimental works that are, you know, uh, decidedly non-commercial in nature. And it's it, just to like watch their kind of strategies on how to, how to get people to care about, non-commercial music was yeah. intriguing that's uh, you very know, I, sincere after college i um yeah i didn't really find a whole lot of job prospects i started working at reckless records downtown and i worked there for uh, almost six years um actually a little bit beyond six years but i got an internship at electrical audio which is um recording engineer uh, steve albini's studio um a lot of people in the recording world are, are pretty familiar with him. He's a pretty big mm. name in that world. He uh, most notably recorded uh, Nirvana's In Utero and um, uh, Pixie's Surfer Rosa. Wow. And, you know, I, I love all that stuff, and I love a lot of the records he's done. And he, he has a very distinct sound. He uses a lot of, like, room tone and a lot of, like, just dry drums um, mm -hmm. with, with, with room sound in it. That's kind of his biggest claim to fame. Uh, so I started, uh, I, I kind of lucked out into an internship with, with them. I was already graduated, but uh, they usually don't take interns if you're not in school. But the, the day that I happened to knock on their door, like a, an intern had uh, just quit because he couldn't commit to the rest of the term. So I basically got to take over his slot. And wow. um, I spent that three months right there, but it seems like a lot longer. And, you know, I basically got to see how recording sessions go from the ground up. And then, you know, I worked at Reckless, so I got to see, like, not only just ordering, like, selling stuff at retail, but, like, um, gauging what to order for the store and, like, what I thought would sell. You know, eventually mm -hmm. I worked my way into a buying position. So I can confidently say at this point that I've been involved in every aspect of music production from, yeah. you know, the writing to the, uh, to the promoting to shopping it, you know, <laughs> releasing it on a label everything i've been involved in every aspect of, of music in my in my short 30 years and uh you know i'd always dabbled in music um but never really like taking it seriously and it wasn't until i got into um like the cassette scene of uh 2011 2012 um i was really into one of tricks point never uh it just released returnal and a friend of mine turned me on to that, and I was really into, like, uh, UK dance music at the time, like Burial and uh, uh, 
I liked uh, Faulty DL and a lot of the stuff on the Hessel audio uh, label, Scuba, like uh, kind of early dubstep stuff. Mm-hmm. And my buddy was like, hey, you might or might not like this. This is kind of like a, almost like a noise record, but uh, it's got a lot of great ambient parts. And like, I know you're into Brian Eno, so like you should check this out. And he sent me uh, One of Tricks Point Ever's Returnal. And yeah. like that just kind of like spawned me off on this this other path. You know, I started like just trying to find as much of that stuff as I could. And I got into like Expo 70 and Emeralds and like all of the Emeralds solo members, you know, Steve Hauschild, John Elliott, and uh, um, oh God, Mark McGuire. And like delving into all of their solo projects. And, uh, you know, eventually it led me to chuck person and i was like what is this this is interesting this is different from his other stuff it's sampled and uh i found the the label beer on the rug and then i started getting into their catalog and um you know i I eventually found floral shop and i was like holy crap this is just you know this is me this is like this sounds like my soul (laughs) i didn't know how else to explain it it just like it, it hit that that chord in me that like that deep, deep down within that, that nostalgia for like, uh, early CGI, you know, that IMAX presentation and like, like watching educational videos and, mm-hmm. uh, playing educational software. You know, I, I played a lot of like uh, software tool works games on my old IBM PC, the 3d dinosaur adventure, 3d yeah. bug adventure and that kind of stuff. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was just like all of a sudden I heard something that hit and resonated with me in a way that like music had had almost just never done before. And uh, yeah, I just started seeking out more. I was just going crazy, like looking through every little corner of the internet for more of this stuff. And I didn't know what to call it at the time. Um, there was a subreddit that I found that had stuff like from Jim Ferraro um, and uh, like emeralds and kind of other tape scene artists at the time and it was uh reddit uh slash r slash gunk g-u-n-k and um i used to like post my ambient stuff on the gunk subreddit and i i remember finding golden living room through the gunk subreddit and uh that was kind of the like one of the other first times that i like met somebody that was like still like posting stuff to soundcloud and like um I, I didn't really communicate with them at the time, but I always like l- really liked when Golden Living Room would post on the the Reddit mm-hmm. uh, Gunk subreddit. Gunk subreddit. And, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't even know when I like <laughs> found the term vaporwave, but um, I like Gunk. I, Maybe we can just call it Gunk now. Gunk is yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> gunk is really cool. But yeah, I mean, it's it was a, a spiral from there. You know, I just started absorbing everything i could and uh it's funny too because at the at the time we uh at the record store we were having a blast like uh slowing down 45s that was just kind of like just something we did everybody at the record store did it my boss was always like throwing on a 45 um on 33 and uh i remember he played like cindy lopper's girls just want to have fun and it sounds perfect because like the percussion and her voice are very high pitched to begin with. So they just naturally sound great when you slow them down to like normal pitch, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not like too accentuated. It's, it still has kind of a human. It's not like super slow and like, you know, um, it doesn't drag on. It's, it's, it's still very catchy. 
And uh, yeah, at that time, like everybody at the record store was just like putting on various 45s on 33 just to hear like how they translated. And yeah, every now and then we'd just find a total gem. And I started like recording them at home. Like I, I recorded like some Phil Collins and some Tears for Fears and stuff. And um, I guess that's like the earliest, the earliest bits of vaporwave that I made. And this is all like, you know, early 2000, I guess late 2012. Um, when all of this happened, I, I found a uh, floral shop and Chuck person's echo jams in 2012. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that kind of inspired me to, um, at the time I was just kind of making guitar based, like ambient music, like, uh, yeah. and stuff and, uh, releasing under your own name. Yeah. Releasing under my own name. And at, at that point in time, I, I had heard some of the newer dream catalog stuff from like 2014, uh, like uh, 2814 and, uh, the telepath stuff. And, I was like, wow, these guys are like actually making at least the 2814 stuff. I was like, this sounds actually like produced in a DAW, but just like with the effects of Vaporwave added. And it was perfect. I was like, this is, this is what I have to make now. And I just like started kind of throwing out all my old rules. You know, I, I never allowed myself to use synth presets before. I always thought it was cheating to like, I, I know it's funny because James uh, in tech had mentioned this in your interview with them too, but I always prided myself on making every single element of my music uh, mm-hmm. from scratch and not, you, uh, you spent so long learning cello and playing guitar and all that, you know? So it, makes yeah. sense. it just seemed like, like cheap to like, to like sample something or to, yeah. um, so I was like, all right, this is great. I'm going to make an original vaporwave album and try to have it sound like me, you know, like, I'm going to try to incorporate all my video game influences into it, but still try to have it sound like, like the telepath kind of slushy drums and the, the weird, like wavy flanger on like the high end and, um, just kind of keep that in mind, but kind of market it as a vaporwave album and basically just try to do, uh, what other artists were doing at the time, but just totally original. And, uh, Mm. yeah, I was, I was extremely pleased when, you know, people actually listened. I, I didn't have a name for myself or anything. I, I fully credit Keith Rankin, you know, the, the awesome album artwork that he made for me. Oh yeah. Uh, with getting people to listen to it. I, it's, it's, it's my opinion that like the album artwork is the most important part of the album, I, like more so than the music. Cause you can have a beautiful, you know, masterpiece music wise. But like if, if it, the cover is just like, plain looking nobody's gonna listen to it and it's just like you've wasted your time almost in vaporwave a lot yeah i mean i just feel like in music in general like from my knowledge uh, of like working at you know thrill jockey and working at the record store and just seeing what sells like Mm -hmm. stuff with good album art sells but like you can have a major artist that releases a total flop and I like look, take one look at it and I'm like, oh, it's because the cover kind of sucks or it's boring <laughs> or it just doesn't catch my eye as much as the last one did. Yeah, and I think that, that can be credited to a lot of artists like missteps. Yeah. Um, There's certainly uh, for, a lot of records I love because uh, of their album art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like uh, uh, when I say the word album art and I close my eyes, I picture immediately King Crimson in the Court of the Crimson King. I don't think that I would have ever listened to that record had it not been for the like insane album art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just like, it's burned into my memory. And like, I love that band now. They're just, you know, they're one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like, 
I looked at a bunch of art before I um, like commissioned Keith and I knew he'd be perfect for it because I had been a big fan of Orange Milk and all of his stuff on that label. And uh, yeah, I also just kind of had this feeling that Keith would blow up eventually and that like I got to get in while I still can, <laughs> while yeah. it's still like, affordable. <laughs> right. I think for so like our niche, I guess, in Vaporwave as well, which is like video games and Vaporwave, there's like this dichotomy of like Japanese box art versus American box art, and we're totally. kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> oh, wow. Like most, I think a lot of gamers are like, once they find, oh, this was the art for the Japanese version of the game, it's so much cooler. At least I always so think that. So much better. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you mean to tell me that Kirby looks friendly on the cover of the games? <laughs> all the US, if you look at all of the u.s artwork they make mean eyes on kirby and that's about the only difference between the u.s and the japanese versions wow <laughs> i didn't know that he's almost every game he's not like a like humanoid muscular hairy warrior in the american version <laughs> yeah, with like a banana hammock and a <laughs> giant Alex. yeah the, yeah, you- the western fantasy versus eastern fantasy is something that um Mark and I especially always talk about is uh, James and tech too. It's uh, it is a huge <laughs> dichotomy and it's crazy. Like the differences between um, the American box art and the Japanese box art. Japanese Sometimes, box art is always better. Yeah. Yeah. Like the final fantasy games are just text with a little, little picture thing in the background, which are gorgeous, but the Japanese ones are just, there's so much more involved. Right. Yeah, it, there's some um, paint a picture. Even some of the Zelda games, I think like Skyward Sword, there's like hues of pink in like the gradients on the box art, and they just like straight up removed just those hues. Wonder what the it's motivation weird. is sometimes. Most of the time, That's it seems like it's toxic sorry bullshit, toxic masculinity, and like yeah, like uh, like ideas of like oh, how can this? How can the kids? Uh, in America, like what'll make them want to buy this and feel cool. And like, uh, there's a really crazy example that isn't in video games, but it's like, um, uh, just, it's a, it's a studio Ghibli film, uh, and, uh, Nausicaa Valley of the wind before all of the studio Ghibli Miyazaki movies came to America, like through Disney publishing, they mm-hmm. didn't really have North American releases and Nausicaa Valley of the Wind uh, had an American release that had complete re-edit, complete different cover, different name. I think it's called something Warriors of the Wind. I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly. I have to look it up. But they like tried to make it look like, oh, like He-Man, you know, versus because yeah. at the time oh, wow. in the a, a, late 80s, it was like there's no way a, a female main character who's like, main goal is to like bring peace between a misunderstood like essentially a giant bug alien thing and like mm. uh human society like and climate change all this stuff like they're like there's no way kids are gonna bite so we need to like turn oh. it into he-man or whatever Dumb it down. <laughs> yeah same applies to like a lot of these this cover art it was kind of like oh let's just illustrate something beautiful that is related to the theme of this game and then when it comes to america it's like give it muscles, give it action, you know? I mean, I think, I think yeah. honestly, a lot of it too is homophobia. For real. Sometimes. It's like, oh, like, uh, this artwork is too flamboyant for, like, these kids. Like, I can't have my kid playing any game with pink on it. Like, it's so stupid. Like, it's, 
it's art. Like only, only Americans like go so far as to like emasculate art. I don't know. I agree. I have a problem with that. A lot of the, (laughs) a lot of the beauty of the character designs for, for like these Japanese role playing games was like the androgynous, amazing fashion, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that was in the concept art. The pixels kind of, you can't really tell maybe what's going on exactly. You can't really tell if like, if uh, that male character is wearing thigh high socks, if it's like these <laughs> pixel sprite. <laughs> but yeah. It's so true. Like the, it's, it's so interesting to think about. Like right, right now I'm thinking about Evangelion and the, like the mechs, yeah. like they're not Gundams technically, but the suits that they wear sliding into those suits and then jumping into their mechs, like the, that, we had Power Rangers, sure, which is sort of similar, but, you know, it was high action. It wasn't, like, internal, like, turmoil and depression, like what all the characters in Evangelion go through. Yeah. So it's not it's not surprising that that wasn't really marketed here. Yeah, like that Macross anime series is, like, reduced to uh, Robotech mm. <laughs> here in the States, and it's, like, they've taken three separate animes that are have nothing to do with each other, and then just like put the giant stamp of Robotech on it. It's like, uh, they're, well, they're all in big robots, right? The kids aren't going to be able to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, I think it is fading, though. I think now we're kind of realizing, oh, people are open to whatever. Uh, I hope yeah. maybe I'm just being optimistic, but definitely, no, like, sure. yeah. Look at look at uh, the new uh, Breath of the Wild Link, or even before that, and yeah. Wind Waker was it? He was like effeminate almost. For sure. I thought was that Link was going to be a girl when they first showed off like clips from Breath of the Wild. I was like, that would have been sick if they just... That would have been so refreshing. Yeah. I would love to play as... I mean, have you played Hyrule Warriors? Linkle or whatever? No. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> Linkle. <laughs> Linkle. It's a real character. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I want to talk, just getting back to my questions a little bit. We've been talking for over two hours, and I have a whole shitload left, so let's All right. fly <laughs> through these if we can. I want to talk about Electronicon a little bit, and just live shows in general. I know, Equip, you've been playing quite a few, performing quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's start with Electronicon. Was that your first time performing? I don't know about either Um, of you it was not um uh george uh actually encouraged me to um start performing in like 2017 he uh came and played chicago in 2017 and we had already kind of been talking at that point and um you know I, i came up to the merch table and i was kind of shooting the shit with him and he was like so uh why didn't you open for me tonight and i was like well, geez, dude, I didn't know that was like an option on the table. And he's like, well, if it had been, would you have like done it? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, next time I play Chicago, you're going to open for me. And I was like, uh, okay. I guess what a I guy, man. Like, figured out how to do it, you know? And then like he, he followed through, he like booked a show and he was like, shows in three months. Are you going to be ready? And I was like, yes, I'm going to be ready. I just committed. And that was that, you know, I, that, that, that started the problem that I had to solve, which was like how I was going to take all the stuff out of the computer and try to recreate it live. So Mm -hmm. uh, my first show was like opening for George and Lindsay in Chicago, um, at the empty bottle in early 2018, uh, first show as a quip. I, you know, I've played with, with bands and, um, I, I did 
like one or two solo performances under my own name. Uh, I think you know, Tony, I think Rich from the show was at that show. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really fun one. And I was like super stoked with the turnout. And um, I was just amazed at like, you know, I, I brought a couple of records and stuff to sell. I even brought like some of my duplicate Super Nintendo games that I was trying to get rid of on like Craigslist and stuff. And I just sold everything. Like I, yeah. I left, you know, with a, a big handful of cash and yeah. um, empty handed, which was awesome. I guess I just didn't really see the, uh, I didn't really see that it, it could be lucrative as well before um, playing. And, you know, that's not why I do it, of course, but that it's definitely helps, uh, helps quell the nerves a little bit. If you know that you can like get rid of a, a couple uh records or, um, tapes or whatever at the merch booth and i was also just like very taken aback by how many people like came um not for george and Lindsay, but uh just for me you know I, I didn't really think that that was a draw to the show like i was just like oh i'm opening for george and i'm just like the opening act but then like i had people come up and it was after synthetic Order 88 came out and they were like oh my god i love your new record i can't believe that you live in chicago and that you're playing the show and that like you know george and blah 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 and um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of crazy. Like I, I wasn't expecting that, that kind of a uh, reaction. So that definitely like encouraged me to kind of put more into it. You know, at that point I was just rocking, uh, an MPC and kind of just like finger drumming, um, all my samples and, and drums along to my songs. And, uh, yeah, that, that energy has definitely like made me put more effort into the performance. Oh, that's amazing, man. Like now you're wearing, you have your costume, your persona, you have your horn on your head, you know, like all, you've really like embraced this whole character. Yeah. I, I definitely credit George and Lindsay. Um, they're, uh, after, after playing in 2018, like fall of 2018 with them, um, like later that year in, uh, California, like we played a show in San Diego and in LA, um, just like watching them engage with their, like, you know, their home crowd and like watching them just be like fucking rock stars for lack of a better word and just get everybody so hyped up. Like that really, really inspired me to make new material that was a little bit more active, um, so like immediately when I got home, I started writing Curse Breaker kind of in- inspired by that, that live energy. And uh, then like later that fall, uh, Mark and I went to uh, Japan for the first Neo Gaia tour. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a good first year of playing live. And uh, yeah, I was still mm-hmm. on, the, on the NPC at that point. And um, I had I talked to Mark a little bit about like uh, maybe going to Japan with me, like the, the next uh I went in fall 2017 for the first time and just was, you know, enamored with the experience I had there. And uh, Mark had also gone for work um, through the Yeti, right? You had, you had gone at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think I went like 2018 would it have been at that point, early 2018. I went there for work. Yeah. Working on a couple big projects, music related and video game related, which is cool. Um, but yeah, so like, like oh, yeah, let's go, uh, try to play some music yeah. over there. Like I, you know, I made some friends the last visit and had some contacts that could book us some shows. So. It was pretty crazy. Like I didn't really know Kevin was just like, Oh, let's, uh, 
let's go. We can we can try and get uh, Death Dynamic Shroud on the tour as well. And it well, it was a, becoming a tour at that point. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And it was definitely like a wild experience going to Japan for sure. Incredible, man. Now you guys are be, like going to be going back there for who knows how long to perform these shows. Yeah, I hope so. What a fucking thrill. At that point, I was like, I loved James's web presence and I loved Death Dynamic Shroud, but I had not really communicated too much with him. Um, and I think that after he saw that, like, I was in Japan, he started uh, messaging me because he was going there that following January. Uh, it would have been January 2018. And so he, um, he expressed interest and I was like, well, I'll tell you what, me and R23X are trying to do a little tour there. Like, do you want to join in on this? And yeah, he was like, yeah, let's do it. So then amazing. that was when we first started our like group text chat and, uh, yeah, everything's history from there. We just kind of like became, became friends over the group chat and as, uh, as tech and, uh, James might've mentioned, um, there was like a little bit of, uh, a little bit of anxiety before we first like met each other in a foreign country, but uh, it was it was put to rust pretty quickly when we figured out yeah. that we were all pretty kindred spirits. It's true. Oh, that nice. was a bit of a leap of faith there, like showing up at jet lagged at a hotel, meeting James and Tech outside <laughs> for the first time, like yeah, at yeah. 10 p.m. <laughs> was, totally. They turned out to be great guys, obviously. So that was oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. So how's how's the crowd in Japan? Like, I imagine to warrant an entire tour, or at least traveling there, uh, you must have some fans, right? Like, how big are the shows and all that? Uh, it's a mixed bag. Um, I mean, I think that we were going to do the tour regardless of whether or not, you know, we had people come out to the shows, and we were all pleasantly surprised at the amount of people that came out. Yeah, um, you know, there's yeah. some shows where it was as, as little as nine people, and then some where it was just like a packed, huge room, and I, you know, couldn't count. It's a dense, dense crowd, you know, like a wow. Yeah, the shows in uh, Tokyo were like really yeah. kind of mind blowing. Like, I don't think we were prepared for like like that size at first. It felt we felt like it was a dream come true for the shows in Tokyo. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Do you think the the promoters had a lot to do with bringing out those crowds, or were those existing fans? I think they were surprised and happy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So the first year um, I went out there in 2017, I went with um, two very close friends of mine that have an amazing musical projects. There's uh, my friend Colin who performs as a uh, Bryn currently. He's signed to Leaving Records. Uh, Matthew David Slavel out in LA, and uh, another friend of mine, Joe. Um, has a project called Bastion Void, uh, and he runs Moss Archive out of, um, uh, shoot, where does he live? Uh, <laughs> gosh, it's the home of Polar, and I can't, fi- uh, Worcester, Worcester, Worcester. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they went out to play music the first year, and Joe already knew um, our friends uh, Kazuma and Kauri. They run a... Uh, a shop and venue called Peihu in uh, um, Osaka. So he knew them um, through uh, online friends. You know, Joe is friends with uh, a food man, Takahide, and uh, Hakubune, um, Takahiro. And we uh, um, got their contact information, you know, after 
after they had kind of booked uh, Joe and Colin's tour, and then, uh, you know, I just hit them up like, here's a list of cities that we would like to perform at. You know, do you know anybody in these cities? And they uh, did their best to hook us up with a, a venue in almost every, you know, small little remote place we wanted to go to. So we found out pretty quickly that, like, you know, places like uh, um, that place near Nagoya that we played that first show, like, you know, I think there was like five or six people at that show uh not the greatest location to play we were just there and we thought it'd be fun to play a show so Mm -hmm. i'm glad that we did it for sure um but not that many people you know turned out to that one but then you know like once we got um a couple shows with uh we did that show with um studio studio and like oto hatoba and kobe and started hooking up with like the people that were playing uh or signed to local visions oh nice Um, yeah, that that all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is totally our market. Like, this is these are who we have to be playing with, and like this is kind of the equivalent crowd to yeah that, what we would get. In the States, that first so. show and in, in there the 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 show that we played with Local Visions acts was in um, Kobe, and it just felt like the breakthrough where we're like, oh, this is where we've actually found our audience here, which was yeah. like it felt really special, and we we're kind of like again like it was like overjoyed <laughs> wasn't in Local tokyo but it was has... like a great great experience yeah mm-hmm. if there's any listeners who haven't checked out local visions i don't think they're putting out too much right now but check them out on bandcamp localvisions.bandcamp.com they've got such a cool vibe to all the records on there the aesthetic they actually the they have put out a couple like really excellent releases this year um i feel like they do at least a release a a month One if a not month. every other month yeah um yeah sometimes it's an ep like three or four songs but every mm-hmm. single thing on that label is gold like i endorse every project on that label there's not a like a bad note on the <laughs> local visions catalog seriously <laughs> it's all good yeah, yeah they're awesome uh but that that kind of informed the second tour um you know i i once again got a hold of kazuma and kauri and we're like hey uh we're going to come back. Do you want to help us again? And they were a little busy the second time. Um, but they kind of hooked us up with, uh, mutual friends in, um, new masterpiece. Uh, that's another amazing Japanese label. So, um, mm-hmm. the owner of new masterpiece, uh, he goes by Hitachtronics. He, um, largely was responsible for hooking up the 2019 Neo Gaia tour. Uh, where we got you know Jeff and uh, Vape Error to come with, and we mm-hmm. met up with uh, with groceries. You know he lives in um, in uh, Seoul, so he flew over for a couple shows with us, and uh, we also got to play with Blood Wave. He uh, was staying in Japan at the time, so nice. It was perfect that uh, that first show was so Circus Tokyo was just amazing. You know we got Mikazuki Big Wave, uh, Kiss Me Nerdy Girl. Um, it, like uh groceries blood wave um upusen uh nice. this uh, i mean like it there's a huge list of people that played that night. i think there was a 14 or 15 different performers holy shit but it was it was just like a cluster fuck of, of vaporwave yeah, and future it, it started it, at, at cool. 9 p.m i think and then uh it went until 5 a.m it was yeah. people were sleeping on the on the stairs in the back at the end of the show to like catch the first train type of situation it was like a crazy yeah. party it was re- we were jet lagged and we just partied <laughs> and played our show and it was 
Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I had that, that coveted 4.30 a.m. time slot. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I might have been asleep at that point. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it was That's not crazy. a great performance. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I hadn't practiced since Electronicon 2, and that was about a month back at that point. And uh, I was using new gear that I wasn't super familiar with, and... There was all kinds of mysterious issues. Like I had this weird screen on my computer I've never seen before that was like a fatal error has occurred. You must shut down all your programs. I loaded my set. It was like missing clips. Like, oh, did we lose you? Oh, sounds like he might be. He might have cut out. We lost you, Jim. I'll text him. Yeah. Yeah, that was like kind of an action-packed, like fall because you were asking about Electronicon originally. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like Electronicon so much. one. We just I I just met Jeff for the first time then, and uh, yeah. Vapor, and then we all played Electronicon two as well. It's mm-hmm. weird. I cut out for a second. You're back. Man. You're back. Nice. Yeah, I was man. just about to mention that you. It, it was kind of wild fall because like I think like a few felt like a few days after Electronicon two, Kevin like yeah. left for Japan early for the Neo Gaia Fantasy 2019 tour, and. Mm. I think he like it just was kind of like back to back like oh let's meet Vapor for the first time and then play Electronicon one and then a, a month or two later Electronicon two he's sm- smashing his laptop and then a few days later now we're all in Japan <laughs> together playing a show yeah. underground at four in the morning it was just like is this even real life like <laughs> yeah Mental. yeah it's like like a dream or a movie or something right something like that I mean that. Electronicon was, I, I would say, I would credit that as the moment to where my life became like different. Like I played that show and then I, you know, reported back to work the next, <laughs> the next Tuesday or whatever, Monday or Tuesday, like mm-hmm. at my day job. And I was just like, God, this sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> where's the crowd of, you know, 500 screaming people? That's what I want to see again. <laughs> not, not this. And uh, yeah, yeah, I played a couple of gigs in between. Electronicon 1 and 2, and then Econ 2 was just like, you know, bigger and better than the first one and absolutely amazing. And I somehow had a bigger crowd than the first one. And uh, yeah, I left for Japan three days after that. It was three um, days. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I came home. I think, it, let's see, we, we went to Disneyland that Monday, right? Oh, yeah. After Electronicon. Yeah, that was a good day. And then Tuesday, Tuesday, I flew back. And then I left for Japan on that, like, Saturday morning, I think, or that Friday morning. Um, so just fan. go 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 <laughs> yeah even just watching on twitter all the posts of people's like saying okay like oh i'm in japan now and you know just watching things happen over over the internet is like holy fuck man things are really happening it's just <laughs> non-stop wham bam yeah i started speeding up at like an exponential rate after econ one i think everybody mm-hmm. was just like oh wow there's a you know a, almost a global market for this like what can we do what what kind of powers do we already have that we don't know about <laughs> yeah yeah because that i mean felt good we're still kind of experiencing that to a degree like uh, uh james and and tech and mark and i um you know we're uh we, we wanted to slip this in here at some point but we've got some exciting neo gaia related news that will be coming to uh, 100% electronica very soon within the next couple of weeks and uh yeah that I think we're we're still just like in awe of like the fact that we have fans and supporters that will, you know, fly, fly like 
to, to go see us, yeah, which is crazy. It is. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, you guys a... seriously kick ass. So oh, <laughs> thank you. That's nice. It's a mutual, it's a mutual There's thing. A I'm sure. Dan flew from Canada, um, to come see us in Japan. Wow. Insane, right? It is pretty I wild. didn't ever think that that was like yeah. fathomable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it all, it's, uh, it's incredible, man. It'll happen so fast. And now you're doing live streams too, because, you know, the whole thing. How was the VR 360 event? Uh, that was incredible. Um, there's, there's definitely more in the pipeline. That's something that we want to start as like a recurring thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, nice. it was so cool and so kind of in-depth for everybody that there's no way that we can't just kind of keep it going. And, yeah, uh, for yeah. sure anybody who's invested in a vr headset uh loves it because it's just more you know oh his internet's being all wonky i think he's on the roof yeah still eh? do you have a vr headset i do i was in there in vr that's awesome it's pretty tight it's uh it's like a cheapish one it's the windows mixed reality by hp Hmm. sorry cut out for a second there again i'm gonna um you're on the roof. I'm officially coming down from the roof. <laughs> <laughs> the best signals on the roof, yeah. It's weird because I got the Ethernet connected. I don't know what's going on. That's I did strange. check my settings, and for the first half of the call, I was still on Wi-Fi, even though I <laughs> really? connected the Ethernet. So yeah. stupid. Well, it, it was fine. There's no latency or anything. So, I don't know. But, uh... Mark, you didn't get to talk about your performance at Electronicon too much. And I want to know how you guys... You know, well, I guess you talked about it a little bit, Kevin, how you have a new setup and you're learning your new equipment and all that. Mm-hmm. But right. I think in pe- people are definitely interested in knowing how the different vaporwave vaporwave artists perform their live sets differently. Yeah, for sure. Mark's got a pretty unique setup, I'd say. <laughs> well, like I <laughs> hadn't actually played many shows before Electronicon. Like I kind of fell into it in 2017 as well, but late 2017 I was a friend reached out um, who from Calgary, uh, Alberta, Canada. And she sort of encouraged me to play at a music festival called Sled Island, uh, Mm -hmm. where I was able to um, play a great show. I I got to open for like my, basically my first show aside from online streaming events was playing uh, opening for DJ PayPal and uh, Eve's two more and uh, this great venue downtown calgary during the event and i was like oh like that was like a wake-up call like how can i translate this to a live show and i sort of decided Mm -hmm. to use a lot of the hardware that i used to make the r23x music so my my live setup from then on it's it's changed and evolved but since 2017 it's either it's usually involved a nintendo ds uh a playstation one running mtv music generator and nice. I lately have started also using, I've abandoned any kind of uh, MPCs or MIDI controllers and opted to just use a mm-hmm. Nintendo 64 controller as my MIDI <laughs> controller. Um, That's fucking incredible. Yeah. And it's just most <laughs> other people who like, who like really know music gear and stuff, they're like asking me a few follow up questions. They're like, huh, okay. <laughs> but I find it's really expressive for me to use the, uh, the N64 controller, and uh, yeah, awesome. I don't need to have any sure pressure sensitivity well. for the MIDI buttons or anything like that. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so my set has, like, I've played a couple online shows since then, but uh, Electronicon was, 
one and two. Specifically, two is a lot nicer for me. In the first electronic con, I didn't really have the like. I had a slot near the end of the day, and uh, there was a lot of people moving around. So like, to see George mm-hmm. Clanton's show and things like that. So yeah, the second one, electronic con two, George was like, "I'll make sure you have the best slot I could give you <laughs> for that one." So nice. Um, he was so good about the schedule. He was really he was nice. such a sweetheart about yeah. it. Like he. He definitely like realized when he put artists on tough slots in the first one and tried to rectify it in the second one. He's mm-hmm. it was really very nice conscious of that. Yeah, it's great yeah. to have a chance to be able to do that too. Absolutely, to give everybody a chance in the spotlight. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he did everything so. I mean, the best that anybody could have possibly done it. You know, there's the people complaining about the lineup and like, oh, why can't I see all these people at people once? And it's complaining like, well, about it. I mean, there's well, always gripes about everything, yeah, but just like, you know, it was usually just like, oh, how are you going to put these two at the same time slot? But it doesn't matter how you schedule it out. There's always going to be some conflict. But yeah, I somehow managed to see uh, pretty much everyone at Con 2, even if it was just for like five to ten minutes. I like planned it out to where I could get my set out of the way as early as possible. Like I told yeah. George I want like the earliest set. Mm-hmm. Um, the big stage and then I can just kind of relax and go see everybody else and it worked out great I I don't think I missed like anybody really yeah yeah I found myself like helping out people with tech problems like usually bracketing a, a, my set at each electronic con it was like there's something <laughs> going wrong and it's like not anything really bad but like just little tech problems because it was such a yeah. rapid fire schedule uh, mm-hmm. people sure. were like oh my god this cable isn't working and Every, pretty much everybody has a story like that from one of their their sets yeah. <laughs> the two. Yep. and like i remember, remember there's the yeah. stack of focus rights for deaf <laughs> or something it's like try every single yeah. one and that everyone bring their 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 audio uh oh, units vapor, yeah. yeah yeah so it's just like it was it's funny because i played with jeff in atlanta and it was um focus right hell part two <laughs> really <laughs> yeah um we didn't First of all, he we were late to the soundtrack, and I was like, "Dude, I, I think we should really." I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, dissing on Jeffy Boy, but we were definitely late to the soundtrack. I was like, "I think we should get there as early as possible, man." There's all these crazy things that have happened with both of our setups that you know we should just make sure it all works great. Uh, but we were late to the soundtrack. Um, Jeff set up to soundcheck and it was the same thing all over again. It was just like, Oh my God, the firewire interface isn't working correctly. And, um, it took so long to get Jeff soundcheck out of the way. Uh, and yeah, I was like, dude, yeah. maybe you should not buy a focus, right products anymore. They don't seem to like you. <laughs> I don't think it's a PC or Mac thing. I think it's a Jeff and a focus, right thing. Cursed. I used a Focusrite interface and I straight up dumped it in Japan. I like gave it to a friend. I couldn't bear to hold on to it anymore. I just bought a new one that day. I just couldn't take it anymore. (laughs) You figure it out. Good luck. It it was an old one. It was like a Firewire interface uh, that I was using with an adapter. And it was also like like four or five pounds. It was just like, uh, you know, heavier than my laptop and it was extra weight that I was having to cart around all over the country. How were you using Firewire? Did your laptop have Firewire? Thunderbolt adapter. Okay. Because like I have an Apogee Duet. $40 Apple dongle. (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. Because like I've had issues with cables where like 
I was using and I still use an Apogee Duet to run like the PlayStation and stuff through my computer. And I yeah. bought a USB-C cable thinking, oh, I can plug it directly into the new MacBook and it would work mm. fine for like two hours. And then all of a sudden it would just click and go turn into like just mind melting, static, horrifying sounds. Oh God. And it was just like an issue with compatibility for the cable. And I think that might've been what was happening with Jeff, maybe something to do with the cable, but like mm. I couldn't imagine if I had left for Japan with that cable and not yeah. discovered that on my own it would have been like it would have been like a potential like lawsuit through like a pa that kind of sound <laughs> like it's just so yeah. piercing that it was like yeah, oh my yeah, god yeah. wow yeah. glad that didn't happen yeah the um <laughs> i mean it, it's like they say like they're you're going to be prepared for everything but like the worst possible thing <laughs> yeah but yeah the uh I think we all had like one very scary moment at some point in Japan where it's just like, how the heck are we going to pull this off? But yeah, we always yeah. figured out a way. Nice. Yeah. Got to think on your toes. Yep. And I mean, you can get anything, you know, J- Japan is like the technological paradise. So you can get any sort of cable adapter, anything like in a real shop, like you don't have to order it online yeah. and wait for mm-hmm. it. Super awesome there. So nice yeah there's a store for just about anything you need big camera you could go in there and like it's got six floors and there's like every cable every electronic thing you could ever need yes (laughs) totally ah man i miss japan me too yeah it seems not sure if we're gonna be able to go there this year well at least uh we can reminisce with our cool announcement coming up soon (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) cool totally um yeah, uh, Mark and I are, are working on... Uh, well, we've got our new single in the pipeline, too. Um, okay. Several new singles, as as we have revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the we don't want to reveal it quite yet, but the next single is going to be on a format that has never been done, at least in the world of Vaporwave. Nice. So we're, we're very, very excited about these. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Now, I like how you put the other one on floppy. Yeah, I shipped all of the floppies today. That's what I did with my day. Productive day. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Are you going to do um, like more different types of physicals as the singles continue to come out? Yeah, I think we're going to do a different format for every physical. And, you know, mm. some of them are going to be straight up ridiculous. And That's kind of our goal. Be very, yeah, our goal is very maybe. expensive and very limited. <laughs> yeah. We kind of want to like, I guess that's why we put multimedia in the tagline because we really want to try to push, I guess, what people expect from physical and make it kind of special uh, for sure. the upcoming releases. So you'll, you'll, nice. you'll see. I mean, I know a lot of people do floppies um, and I, you know, uh, what's that label? Lately. Strudelsoft. They're like the OGs of, of vapor floppies. Yeah. Um, but the latest floppy we did has uh, a text walkthrough. Um, you know, like game FAQ style, which uh, I don't think anybody's ever done that for music, period. Like, yeah, I don't know of any other artists that have, have done that. So on mm-hmm. the floppy disk, you actually can get a text <laughs> file and it's got like a short story written by Violetta uh, Lee. She's a, a poet and a writer based in Vancouver and it's formatted like a game fact style walkthrough and it shares the story of the single for Severe Mountain Path. So if, if you if you get it, you can put the floppy disk in and read it. <laughs> or you can get Crazy. its free download 
with or get it uh, as as a downloadable bonus file. I think it's on the Bandcamp download too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely give yeah, it a read. Like, FAQs for me are super nostalgic because I remember um, I had Rebel Assault 2 for PC and I couldn't figure out how to get past a certain part. And, you know, at that time it didn't occur to me to just look it up on the internet. And uh, I remember calling the hint hotline on the back of the game and it would, they would tell you like tips and strategies on how to get further. And, um, was it a human? It, yeah, yeah. would have um, had to be at that time. I've never called it, into those. It's those always um, seem interesting. Yeah, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it might have just been like an automated voice message. Like you, like put what level you're stuck on on like the numeric keypad, you know? Yeah, and then they like kind of go into a voice walkthrough. That's the coolest fucking thing, man. Yeah, automated. Uh, but of course, it tell it cost like, my yeah. parents probably like Gotta sixty cents that. a minute or something. No way. Um, it was really expensive and, uh, I think very quickly they were like, I mean, can't you just look this up on the online? And I was like, oh my gosh, I probably could. And then I, I discovered game FAQs. And then after that I would like, you know, cause we had dial up at the time. So I couldn't just leave it on while I was playing the game. I would print off like the next 15 pages of the walkthrough to like where I was. If I knew that I wasn't going to have computer access, like if we were, if we were going on a road trip and I like took my Game Boy with, I would like try to find a spot that I was stuck at and like print the walkthrough out mm-hmm. so I could like know that I could make progress in the car. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so, something about those game facts like walkthroughs are just like ultra, ultra nostalgic to me. It it actually yeah, reminds yeah. me of like what we were talking about earlier of the art the unknown unsung heroes of, of emulators it's like those people oh, pouring yeah. their soul into a book that has like ascii art at the beginning and like who totally. who told you to do this they're just like i just wanted to make something beautiful and spend my entire life writing it like my entire free time writing it at least like okay have either of you guys heard of the boss series uh the boss fight series of books uh yeah i think so that sounds familiar Okay, so if you haven't heard of them, they're very similar to those... Um, have you heard of those 33 and a third series, like music books? I haven't heard of those. No. <laughs> they're basically like just small kind of like... They're very digestible reads, but they're... Um, the 33 and a third books are all critiques of like, you know, famous albums like, you know, David Bowie Lowe, My Bloody Valentine, Loveless, all that stuff. The boss fight series of books is very similar, but for video games where they'll just cover one video game and then one author's like, you know, exclusive passion for that video game. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was on tour with Magic Sword in December, I stopped by um, Pink Gorilla Games in Seattle and they had a copy of uh, Chris Kohler's Final Fantasy V boss fights book. And I read the entire thing on the flight back from uh, Seattle to Chicago. Um, Nice little four hour read. And it's, uh, it's, first of all, it's phenomenal, but it talks about kind of the early days of writing walkthroughs and translation guides from a perspective that I never experienced before, which is uh, this guy, you know, Chris, um, you know, he teams up with uh, this girl that speaks Japanese and this other dude that, um, was able to import a copy of final fantasy five and they all kind of like help each other in writing the first like translation guide for final fantasy five. 
And uh, they were just talking about how they, they did it at the time just for fun. And then um, I forgot what website it was, like GameSpy or IGN or something like uh, did a, a special um, on Final Fantasy V and they copied their walkthrough like word for word almost. Oof. Oh my in God. Print and didn't give them any credit for it. And at that point, they, Fucking you know, IGN. there was nothing that they could have done. Like, internet was in its infancy. They could have just posted. Oh no! Hello. We lost him again. Oh yeah, he'll be back in a sec. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you guys too much longer. Anyway, it's almost—it's been three hours now. Woo. Whoa, really? It's been three hours. It has. My copy. Yo, you cut out. Back. I think. Oh, no. I think I know. Are you here, Kevin? Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. think I know those books. Like, is do they have like minimalist covers or something? Like the Earthbound is like just like a bat or something like that. Yeah, super minimalist. Yeah, I think I got nice. I got the, the very first one, which might have been Earthbound, like PDF of it or something. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Do you remember where you left off, or did you not get a ping when you got disconnected? I don't know. It keeps switching back to my Wi-Fi, which is weird. I just disabled Wi-Fi, so now it's all going on the Ethernet oh, nice. connection. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was just saying that it was. Um, it's an interesting perspective that I never read before of mm. you know somebody that was there in the early days of game faqs and yeah. translation guides and how they were kind of doing something like unique and pioneering at the time and he, i mean he's talking about like he, he had just done it such a deep dive in all the previous final fantasy games and was just like eating up any source of news that he could find and how like bummed he was that they skipped over Japanese localization of or American localization of Final Fantasy V after you know Final Fantasy IV was released in the US and he like just couldn't believe that they were skipping it just to go straight to 6 you know which became Final Fantasy 3 here but uh yeah his perspective in the book is just it's incredible and Chris Kohler is such a great writer you know he's done all kinds of awesome modern pieces and uh, uh Mark you would be interested cuz he's a huge fan of Japanese curry <laughs> and he was like interviewed for a uh, GQ magazine about his like perspective on, on Curry. No way. It's interesting. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's another side quest from our Neo Gaia fantasy tour in Japan is that Kevin I, and I are both vegan and we uh, are obs- freaks too. <laughs> we're obsessed with this chain <laughs> in, in, in Japan called Coco Ichibanya and they have a vegan yeah. Japanese curry there. And it's like, so good. We're like fa- super fanboys of it. Like we've had yeah. two, maybe three meals in one day at a cocoa. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're cocoa freaks. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's kind of difficult to to like adhere to your your vegan vows when you're in a country where um, it's very normal to serve like you know fish sauce and fish oil on even mm-hmm. like vegetable dishes and stuff. And it's like something that most people don't even think about, so they wouldn't even think to like tell you that right. it has it's like not fully vegetarian it might appear to be totally vegan oh my god maybe we should write a walkthrough about a, being vegan in japan yeah. and yeah, we do coast. have a unique perspective for sure <laughs> but yeah coco ishibanya is like the one fast food restaurant where you're you can almost guaranteed have a, a vegan option yeah so because nice. of that we ate a lot so good all right let me so uh how was combo champ that was great. You know, I had a really good you, time with that. You worked with Frank and Mark. You worked with PowerPCME. Yep. Yeah. It was like, so we were both in a kind of a unique position for that, where I think we had just 
I think Pad asked us if we wanted to get involved with that, like after Econ 2. Oh, yeah, right. And I was just like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll do it. And then um, realized, like, when am I going to do this? You know, because I left for Japan like three days after Econ 2. And I had something else going on before Econ 2 where I, I only had a couple of days to work on it. So I, I kind of cheated and I asked Pad um, who I got paired with so I could start working before mm-hmm. the drawing video because he had already done the drawing at that point. So I cheated and I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to be under a crazy time constraint because I'm going to Japan and I don't know if I'm going to be able to like make anything while I'm there on my laptop that I'm going to be happy with to release. Oh my God. Um, can you, Dude. have you done the drawing? You know, can you just tell me who I got paired with so I can like get a head start on this? Yeah. We actually tried to and, hatch a scheme that was like, can you just put us together? Because we already yeah, are yeah, we're yeah, already yeah. working on stuff. <laughs> we tried to yeah. really cheat. Actually, we tried to rig it. <laughs> oh, we tried man. to rig it. Yeah. But, it was but you know what? Pad no. is a hundred percent. Um, you know, he was like, listen, boys, this is not the way that I want to do this. So, <laughs> yeah. um, we're, we got to do it randomly. I got, I have my credibility here and, you know, I respect that a lot. He, we tried to, to, to cheat the system and he said no. So power to him. Um, he had already done the drawing and he had already made the video with our like pairing picks. So mm-hmm. we weren't going to make him like re-render. You never want to make somebody re-render. So, oh yeah. Um, I I hit up Frank and then we started, he sent me some stems before I left and I messed around with them while I was there, but I eventually just kind of begged for an extension so I could work on it after I got back. Cause I can't, uh, I have a hard time like making full projects on my laptop on headphones. I really like, I, I benefit a lot from a bigger screen and having studio monitors to listen back on. Right. But I'm really happy with how our track turned out. I think it's probably like, one of my most played tracks on Spotify at this point. Wow. And uh, Mark's track is, I mean, everybody's track is phenomenal on that. I, I was really um, honestly surprised. I, I, I don't know why. I just, I expected some train wrecks. I expected some <laughs> bad songs. It was definitely kind uh, of a wild card experience, right? Like you had no idea people varying techniques yeah. and styles and experience. And, and the crazy thing to me is everybody's song is good. Like there's nothing that's even questionably. Mm-hmm questionably off to me everybody did a hundred percent and put their best foot forward yeah that was fun despite us being on on tour at the time yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's crazy for anyone listening who hasn't checked it out check it out combo champ it's just pairing different vaporwave artists together at random to create a song and then it's a compilation album it was definitely the the wind in the sails from from electronic on one really like sort of drove that project because i think he asked us all like in a dm or maybe formally but it was like a lot of electronic on one artists were asked from i like, had mm-hmm. to participate and right. everyone was like so happy <laughs> that vaporwave was real that, now we had yeah. that big twitter group chat yeah you that's know, where like yeah. everybody yeah. was in there yeah that's it yeah the um 100 vegan cheese twitter oh chat. yeah i forgot <laughs> i named i i or i was talking about vegan cheese a lot and somehow it got named that yeah. I'm gonna post a DM. I'm gonna resurrect that corpse of a chat. Can it? Can you post about fun. cheese? Because I think new yeah. vegan cheese has come out since then. Like, it definitely has. Yeah. That that Daya mozzarella stuff. That's new. Oh yeah. Really? <laughs> Miyoko's. Or no, the, yeah, the Miyoko's mozzarella. Dude, that that's what I'm thinking so about. Good. Not the Daya stuff. 
Yeah, that stuff is incredible. I don't know how they make it taste like that, but it's so good. It's like salt and oils. I don't know. Melts perfectly, too. Oh, so I made good. several pizzas with it. It's great. Huge shout out to Miyoko's Smoked Maz Vegan Cheese. Huge shout out to Miyoko's. <laughs> yeah. We are, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say we're sponsored by Miyoko's. Yeah, yeah I'm a brand ambassador then, now for them, actually. And then they can sponsor us later if they want to do it <laughs> and make it true. I'm going to email them. I will eat one cheese wheel per set. Dude, <laughs> on you stage. need to be careful. That <laughs> could be a slippery slope for you. Yeah. Um, heart daffodil. Daffodil uh, gave me a jar of olives before my Vancouver performance, and I, I put them on stage <laughs> while I played. Oh, yeah. Oh, amazing. Because of, of the meme. The olive beef. Does anyone yeah, care about yeah. that anymore? That seems to have faded into the... We need yeah, I came out one. with that olive shirt too late. I should have, if, if I would have busted out with that design in the heat of the olive yeah. battle, I, I could have sold 300 more for sure. I think people figured out olives greatest. were contentious before Vaporwave. <laughs> so maybe they just got bored of it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That was a good time though. <laughs> so, uh, Kevin, how did you get your first equip record on Dream Catalog? I'm wondering about the story there. I think there is one. Um, I was um, in communication with Telepath at the time because I was um, I ran a little record label with a friend called Borrow Records, Breathing and Receiving Oxygen, and we had done a um, tw- basically a twenty eight fourteen split release. One side was um, HKE, and one side was Telepath, and uh, so I was already in contact with. Uh, both of them. And I was also in contact with Telepath because we were planning the earliest stages of the Virtual Dream Plaza cassette box set. That was something that, like, as soon as I listened to the project, I it was like I formed an instant connection with it, and I knew that I had to be the one to bring that to the physical realm. And it just seemed so ridiculous to, like, do so that I was like, it was an interesting problem for me. And I, uh, I always kind of like solving weird problems. I, I'm a troubleshooter at heart. Mm-hmm. So it was Get, like getting the cases must've been difficult for that. Yeah. I mean, it took like two years for us to kind of finalize that project. Mm-hmm. And I, had, I, we had bounced around a bunch of ideas and how to house it. And I'd like looked at so many different packaging options. And at the time, like that was the, the trim eight cases that those are in were the most that you could order. Um, as far as like a package that contains that many cassettes, you could go mm-hmm. over that and get like a 24 book, but there was nothing that yeah. was like would hold uh, 16 tapes. So I was like, okay, well we can do two of these trim eights and then get like a cardboard slipcover box. So I, I hit up so many like corrugated cardboard manufacturers and went to like, I swear to God, I went to like 50 different print shops and hit up like, a ton of like just paper and cardboard manufacturers and it was either like you had to put in a crazy big order you know like they wanted like corporate clients or it was just going to be like too small and flimsy um it just seemed like most of the print shops that i had contacted like just they didn't have any like creative vision themselves and it was just like oh well we can't do that with our machines there was no like no uh well how can we do it Mm -hmm. and um i was chilling in um my folks live in Rockford, Illinois, which is like a kind of a, I guess a kind of a suburb of Chicago. Not really. It's like 80 miles from Chicago, uh, Northwest. It's, it's closer to the Wisconsin border. 
but uh, I was staying with them and um, we were downtown and there's like a little screen printing shop and I walked in there and they had this like book sitting there that was in this like wooden slip cover and it was screen printed. And I just thought it looked amazing. And I was like, did you do this? Did you guys screen this? And they were like, Oh yeah, we screened this. And, um, so-and-so this dude, Jeremy at, uh, this framing shop made the, made the like uh, case for the book, the slip cover. And I was just like, I just started thinking, I was like, this would be perfect for the box set. So I ordered a couple of the empty like tape containers the trim eights. Um, and then I had them, like I delivered them to the shop and I was like, Hey, what can you do with these? And they, uh, they made me a mock-up like that the next day. And that was like when I knew that, that we had finalized our, our packaging solution for that set. So nice. Um, yeah, that was quite involved because it, you know, Rockford is 80 miles from Chicago. So I had to go there, you know, give them the stuff. Um, go back to pick up the stuff, uh, bring them to the screen printing shop. They had all be screened and then brought back to the wood shop and then assembled and then brought back to Chicago. And they weigh about five pounds each. So they're uh, difficult to ship more than one. You know, I had to um, get a car for all shipping all those. And uh, it was an extremely involved process, but I'm glad that we did it. I kind of detoured from your question there. I'm sorry. The uh, No, no, that's an uh, incredible story. <laughs> how, to know how did the I get involved with that? Uh, yeah, DC, well, but, yeah yeah exactly yeah but thanks through, for that through the midst of that i i had been working on i dream of a palace in the sky and it was um especially influenced by uh 2814 and telepath so i i sent it to telepath first i was just like hey listen this is something i've been working on um no pressure i'd love to get your ears on it and you know of course my i was hoping that he would say uh you want to release it on dream catalog, but you know, I didn't know at the time, but yeah, he, he really liked it and he did. He offered me a spot on the catalog after that. So I was eager. I really liked that label at the time. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a no brainer for me to drop that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. Getting on DC yeah. back in the day. Kinda. Yep. I mean, at that time that was like, uh, I, I loved, you know, I'll try living like this. I loved the 2814 record. Um, you know, all of uh, Jeff's records, the Vapor stuff, um, all of that was just like my my soundtrack to late 2014, early 2015, mid 2015, and I, I started working on the record hard in like early 2015, um, like early summer, like May, around this time uh, in t- 2015. And yeah, all I was listening to was like Vaporwave. The I guess it was kind of the second maybe the third wave of vaporwave. Like I had, I had kind of like suspended, uh, listening for a while, um, <laughs> and, uh, got back into it via that, that new wave of producers. So, uh, yeah, it was an exciting time. And I was just like really, really excited to finally like be involved with it. Uh, yeah. it just seemed like a, a scene where you could, you didn't have to be a professional, you know, you could, you could still be an amateur producer and get, get notified, you know, like get some sort of recognition for what you had done. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at that point I had been like making computer music for, uh, since 2009. So it wasn't, uh, like I was an amateur producer or anything, but I, I was at a level of producing where I could make something pretty quickly and, um, people were impressed by it, which was, you know, it was nice to kind of cut through that, that C because, 
before, you know, I, I was I had been kind of making like ambient stuff and also like UK dance music, like UK garage and um, house stuff and early dubstep stuff. And that stuff yeah. is just like it's almost impossible to get somebody to listen to your music. I didn't know mm-hmm. how to like. I, I mean, I would send it to producers I liked. I would post it on Reddit. I would, you know, like post SoundCloud links on like forums and stuff. And I just wasn't getting any bites. You know, it just seemed like an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. So to, to find a, a community of people that like, I loved the music coming out of it and that the people were like also um, open to new sounds and open to listening to new stuff was uh, just enthralling. So mm-hmm. it's a rare thing. It's it seems to be like a right place, right time kind of thing. And doesn't last too long. Like I don't think vaporwaves as much like that anymore, you know? That's exactly what it felt like at the time was was right place, right time. And yeah, I'm I'm lucky that I got the opportunities that I've had and uh that I've been able to work with so many amazing people and that uh yeah, I mean I still consider myself lucky that people even take my music seriously. You know, I every day I wake up and I I'm still like in that it's still in some disbelief, I guess. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Everyone's got that Im- imposter syndrome, I found. <laughs> yeah, sort of. But as a fan, when we look at you, like I, I'm in like an awe, and my I'm jaw dropped, <laughs> for lack of a better phrasing. There, when I think about your work, and just when I listen to it, man, you blast me off into other universes. Like you really do a lot for your listeners. So I think the feeling is natural, but. That's so like, nice to hear. I don't know, man. Thank you. Thank you're, you. You're, you're awesome. <laughs> For sure. Anytime. Uh, any more with that? I guess. No. Dream catalog. Mark, you got any fond memories okay. of Dream Catalog? Well, the last album that I actually bought on there was your album. Nice. I dreamed yeah. of Palace in the Sky. Okay, so it's been th- over three hours. Three hours twenty minutes now. Nice. I do. I have like five questions left, and I kind of want to tackle them. I actually have about fifteen questions left, but I'll yeah, go for skip it. those ones. Um, but does anyone need a bathroom break or anything, real quick? I could use a quick one. Get some water. All right, cool. So we'll do another five minutes. All right, see you in five. Okay, cool. Andy, are you back? This sounds awesome. What you guys yeah. are talking about? I talk about Wii U uh, soft modding. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I modded yeah. the shit out of my Wii. I'm actually. I actually sell them. Like I'll, nice. I'll get a hard drive and then SD card, throw all the SNES and NES games on there, 64, and then all the Wii games and sell the Wii and the games and a controller for like 200. Well, I'm on the phone with Nintendo right now and I'm going to report your ass. Oh, God. <laughs> Good thing nobody knows my real name. JK, JK. I have <laughs> you may a, know uh... my name because I buy all your shit. <laughs> I'm both sure I can figure you. it out. <laughs> yeah, I think I own like 80% of both of your inventories. We well, love you. <laughs> who, did, who, who did the art for the Star Fox? Um, that would be uh, the th- Drew Wise. Drew, right? He yeah. did that too, eh? Holy he shit. Did, we just did a new one. The 3D uh, holographic thing. A Chrono Trigger uh, compilation as well. Yeah, and it's that one's better. That was better than the Star Fox one. Yeah, similar wow. style. Yeah, training mode. That's Le- what it was. Lenticular, lenticular cover. Really yeah. happy with how that turned out. Yeah, yeah, incredible stuff from that. Yo, know, the like all of those songs are amazing. 
But like the one that stole the show for me on the um, Corona Trigger one was uh, the Bry Face song. It's oh, just so good. It's amazing. Ridiculously good. Yeah, Brian really it hurts me how good it is. I told him that too. I was like, I'm not playing favorites because I like you personally, but your song is amazing. It's the best one. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, everybody br- brought their their best foot forward. Well, right? like, I, I I love all of the songs. Lena Rain's like, song made me uh, did bring me to tears. Lena Rain's track did. Um, yeah, it's got real strings in it. <laughs> yeah, it was recorded in she a studio. Orchestrated it. Yeah, it's incredible. It's beautiful. She did amazing work on it. Oof. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, she is amazing. Speaking of these comps, I guess you could say, what is Guardia the X Strike? Oh yeah. So that that Yeah, that's what we're talking that about. That is the follow up. Oh, shit. So this is I'll give you a little brief on it, I guess. Like um we basically work at Yeti Records. We're doing trying to do a series of tribute albums which are compilations of covers of classic Mm -hmm. games and uh Mm -hmm. on a 10-inch record bringing in like sort of like veterans and of the other video game music industry and just high profile or people we really like in the video game industry and uh so i'm high profile now huh? i think you well you're the best (laughs) and uh (laughs) and try to like get them to interpret songs in their own way like we have acapella on there we have orchestrations and uh so Guardia, the X Strike Sessions is the second installment mm-hmm. in that, and uh, expect another one in 2021 um, with all nice. new cast of composers on there. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, one of the best parts about working at Yeti Records is we get to publish video game soundtracks, sort of like big and small. So we get mm-hmm. to work directly with a lot of amazing developers and video game composers, and yeah great that's so awesome how did you get involved with yeti well the yeti i actually met the founder of the yeti uh when i was in my final year at university in uh on the west coast here i went to university of victoria and i have a degree in visual arts and digital media and uh the very last year i met a guy named glenn o'neill who is an extremely talented illustrator and uh designer and uh he's i guess a a couple of years before that, he'd started the Yeti, and it was uh, kind of a pop culture parody T-shirt site with a, a, yeah, a one T-shirt going up a day, being screen printed, really high quality shirts, like remixing tons of different stuff, just like really creative space, and it uh, kind of blew up and became a staple in the video game merch industry, and. Uh, uh, we started working like they brought me on board uh in 2014 i think right when i started r23x actually was when i started at the yeti it was because i was able to work remotely from home and work mm-hmm. on different projects of varying sizes but they brought me on as an art director actually at that time i was kind of just like it was art direction but it was kind of just graphic design all-purpose kind of stuff and uh that year uh 2014 we also did our first like merch music item so i don't know if you remember the game octodad but uh oh yeah we did Dad a seven inch cash. pressing of the uh, uh 300 copies of of the of the um octodad theme <laughs> and it's like sort of like a surf rock theme it's like super awesome they yeah. um so they i was hired and that was our first pressing and then the second pressing was uh um i had just done ost1.rar 
and they're like, do you want to be in charge of the record department here? Because it was kind of like a startup <laughs> environment, I guess. And uh, yeah. like kind of that vibe. And uh, I co-produced uh, an album called Black Materia with Megaran. Dude. Yeah. So I fucking uh, love, I was going to ask you how you were involved with that. Cause I own it. I've listened to that for years before the vinyl came out. Oh, sick. Uh, yeah. I mean, we yeah, just incredible record. man. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, the original one, the one that I did, I actually went through all of their stem files because it was sampling final fantasy seven. They're like, can you make this like a cover song version? So I like went through and I did my own orchestrated original compositions and then sampled and looped them and yeah. Mega Ran wrapped over them. And it was like a remake of it. Oh, it was like this. And that's yes. pretty much the only way that you can do it legally, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why you had to do it, right? It became a mechanically licensed cover album that was like all Final Fantasy VII themed rap, uh, hip hop yeah. kind of Holy thing. And it was shit. like, so it was, that was a, our second release. And then from then on, since I was so hands on with the production and mastering and pressing of that, I just became the, per- the go to guy at the Yeti. For doing mm-hmm. different video game soundtracks and awesome yeah so it's been a lot of fun yeah. i love yeti records because i can say that like oh i'm label mates with uh you know konami uh Kohia club or whatever yeah we've actually uh even <laughs> most recently we've we were really fortunate to be one of the reasons why i was in japan so much these past couple of years is we were brought on by platinum games to uh, be a partner for their Kickstarter remastering with the wonderful 101. So that's the thing I'm working on right now is the, we offered a vinyl pressing of that soundtrack for their Kickstarter. And that's like my day job <laughs> mastering nice. records. And so cool. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing, man. Incredible. So jelly. <laughs> jelly. <laughs> yeah, Mark's a real professional here. I'm just a dude that like lucked into where i'm at no, no. <laughs> You're both mark, mark works hard i just like like mysteriously luck into all these amazing circumstances <laughs> no you, you're Speaking extremely of, talented <laughs> yeah you crazy boy uh yeah, you of la- labels um you had a record mark come out on gentle records your rpg album from 2015 oh yeah can we talk about that label a little bit and why you approached them with your album uh yes we totally can because i haven't thought about this until right this second for like almost years thank you for the nice warm nostalgic trip down memory lane um that's what i'm here for i i guess like one of the reasons why i was even making like beats on the internet was like I, I don't know how I happened upon it, but there was this like SoundCloud environment that was like, I'm oh, sorry, my, my cat Dijon is shrieking at me. I hear Dijon. <laughs> That's my cat Dijon. Hey, baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's an artist called uh, um, Nuck Fames, which is like, if you reverse the first letters, it's fuck names. <laughs> and uh, ah. he, he created a bunch of awesome beats. I think he goes by Oto Toy now, but. Uh, I guess they're gen- he co-runs or is like a prominent artist on Gentle Records. Like I think they're based in Australia, and I was just listen like bumping their tracks all the time. And I was like making some beats. I'm gonna send them some tracks, see what they think. And they just loved it and uh, included me on a one of their compilations. And uh, and for a track, I think I can't remember the name of the track. Might be called Cross the Threshold. Maybe not. Um, and. Uh, and then they wanted to do a beat tape uh, with me, so I, I uh, 
sent them some tracks and they loved it. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not really much to the story other than I was a huge fanboy of their amazing stuff. And I don't know nice. what they're up to now, but I really still like Oto Toy. Um, just like really amazing beats that are like 40 seconds long. That was like kind of like my favorite part. The early stages of, of lo-fi hip hop to study and relax. I think so before it mm-hmm. became like everyone and their dog is like making it not, not to yeah. sound like a hater, but it was like really yeah. creative <laughs> lo-fi beats at the time. And I was just, I just really was a fan and uh, decided to create some work. Before people started sampling 32 bar <laughs> sections of um like anime os <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah and it, actually there was is a there, physical pressing so of that uh, <laughs> yeah after uh on adhesive sound or adhesive tapes in toronto i guess oh yeah kelly yeah yeah, yeah. he's just great a lot of people know my work from that specific album and uh i've since recycled and reused a lot of ideas from that beat tape um mm. on a new one called lost in time and uh right on uh plus 100 yes that's exactly right so it was kind of like my revival of the soundcloud days i guess where i was just kind of making a minute-long beat that i was happy with and uploading it for like an instant mm-hmm. endorphin rush a lot of my yeah it's kind of my mo for a while at yeah. that time i own both versions of that tape black and blue oh sick nice <laughs> me too nice we're tape brothers. I bought, I bought the the first press with the print from you know from plus one hundred, and I think Mark just gave me an extra copy of the black one. Yeah, sounds about right. Nice. Sell it on Discogs when uh, start hurting for money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all do. Four hundred dollars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take do it. it. So, what is modest coffee? Modest coffee. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Modest Coffee is uh, an amazing uh, coffee roaster based outside of Chicago. And uh, they do like really um, sort of, I don't want to use the word artisanal, but I've seen their their shop and it's like, this guy is kind of cerebral about coffee, you know? Um, And uh, we've made different brews of coffee through the Yeti. And uh, I have done VHS coffee with them. and uh yeah i saw the vhs packaged coffee yeah i've done two pressings of in fact this actually was like i guess similar to our project nameless dreamers thinking outside of the box with like physical releases i guess um Mm -hmm. for this one i'm i love coffee i drink coffee all the time and uh i was like had this opportunity with a connection in the industry to have my own roast of coffee so i thought okay (laughs) i think i will jump on that and create the world's first vaporwave coffee so and the reason i mentioned earlier why uh uh, about modest coffee being a little bit cerebral with um (laughs) the the roasting of coffees because that my first um coffee release uh which is called video blend um was uh it was actually carbonated it was like a carbonator was used to carbonate beans before it was roasted like part of the roasting period was like this person was trying to recreate a fuzzy nostalgic experience when you drink the coffee. And, uh, (laughs) I'm not quite sure how that translated to the taste. Um, but, uh, yeah. Mine's still sealed. (laughs) That's awesome. Interesting. Yeah. 
I never drank it. So my parents did. I gave my parents a VHS uh, coffee for Christmas, and they drank it, and they liked it. I don't know if they tried it with the Szechuan peppercorn. Yeah, so the very first coffee I did, Video Blend, uh, it was not only was it carbonated, but it came with Szechuan peppers that you could chew on to numb your taste buds to give a fuzzy sensation before you... uh, I guess I sort of pitched Vaporwave Coffee to this guy, and he really, really wanted to... uh, do right by me and bring something creative to the table. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have ever had any of it. Kevin said he didn't drink any. That's fine. <laughs> no, I have had Szechuan peppercorns though. Um, On their own? But I, yeah, yeah. I hadn't really tried them until um, during that Magic Sword tour. I stayed with my uh, uh, dear friend Kyle Lanstra in Portland. He's also he's an amazing... Uh, Synthesis. You should check out his music. He just makes awesome, like long form, like uh, um, kind of like Steve Roach style nice. synth jams. Um, but he made me uh, an incredible, like vegan stir fry with Szechuan uh, peppercorns, and we watched episodes of uh, Digging in the Carts. Nice on YouTube. So yeah, I uh, he he added a lot. To- <laughs> To the meal and like i definitely felt like uh i don't know i was taking a break from like drinking and smoking during that period so i felt like um i don't know like inebriated a little bit from mm-hmm. the high amount of of the show oh, dude it definitely like that's a thing makes you feel different hot 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 yeah. spicy things well, i mean we had that experience in japan when we went to coco ichibanya the best japanese curry place in the world oh yeah we- and then i ordered the 10 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got spicy curry. And spice. it, it fucked us up, man. <laughs> yeah. You know what was worse than that the was the, the like mom and pop place that Cosma took us to. Because you remember I just like Oh yeah. I was devastated after that. That was too spicy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually I don't think you were with us. You were with Denver or something, but I was like No, wasn't it wasn't it I'm pretty sure that we were all there. We were all there eating it and then you <laughs> didn't, didn't have to you didn't have to witness the aftermath where I had to like stop the group every like 15 steps or so so i could run to the nearest bathroom okay, i didn't see that part yeah <laughs> yeah that's, Ooh, that's a bad one it was pretty bad yeah capscation is that what it's called caps station yeah 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 i've heard that term before that's the stuff I, uh, have you ever had those um uh, the manufacturers pocky like p-a-q-u-i they make ghost pepper no. chips they're like they're like Doritos, you know, they're Oh yeah, they're really you just addictive. eat one and it comes with its own wrapper. Those are like their like insane um those are the Carolina Reaper chips. Right. So that's like um even more Scovilles than than ghost peppers. But you can buy a bag of their ghost pepper chips. And uh yeah, it's I mean they seem innocent at first. You start eating them and then uh like, you know, five, <laughs> six chips in, you realize that you're like like sweating and you start to like disassociate <laughs> from reality. Yeah. Oh my the more you go oh my in. God. But like it's, it's like, a, it's like Doritos where it's like, you get that addictive flavor powder and you just keep going in, mm-hmm. you know, it's There's, hard. Remember on the Simpsons when Homer eats the chili, I don't There's remember a chili that. carnival and he puts like a super spicy hot pepper in someone's soup to prove that he can eat the spiciest chili. I think it was him against Wiggum or something. Oh, right. Then he goes off on this crazy acid trip after eating. I remember that now. I guess it's a a trope, but like, I didn't really believe it until 
we were riding this train home in the middle of the night and I was like, dude, I feel fucking terrific. Like yeah. <laughs> I feel really good right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's go do something. <laughs> yeah. The cocoa has a, a spice level from, you know, zero to 10. And, uh, I never ordered a 10 before, but, um, yeah, it was an, uh, when was that? That was Yokohama, I think, Mark. No, right? no it was a uh, Yokusuka. We actually, um, we, oh, read, yeah, yeah. we did the uh, Shenmu uh, pilgrimage. So we like went to the setting of Shenmu <laughs> oh, and like nice. retraced the steps. Yeah. Sweet. James, Kevin. There's and like I, a, yeah. a map. They have a map like in the town square of like famous Shenmu locations within the town. So great. And it's funny because I think, I think a couple people saw our tweets and thought that there was some sort of a guided tour or something. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, people were messaging me being like, wow, I can't believe they're doing a guided tour. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is just <laughs> us like walking around this town and taking pictures of everything that we can. A, like there's no tour where we're yeah. making this up. As we, we are go. the guides. There's a guided tour. It's a $500 per tour. Come on <laughs> down. I'm your tour guide. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the uh, the guy was like, "What, what spice level?" And I think Mark, you ordered like I did, an eight I did or eight. something. And then I just had to, I had to beat Mark, you know. So I was, I was like ten, dude. and the <laughs> the dude is like, to to ten, you know. He's like, he like took a step back and like looked at me and like shock, like, "Are you sure?" And I was like ten, and he's like ten. <laughs> I was like. 10 <laughs> yeah and they were like whispering like, to each other okay. they were like they're yeah. consulting each other like is it safe to serve this man 10 and then yeah you yeah. took one this bite man. and you had like a hiccup like you just you like took one bite and you had the biggest yep. hiccup ever <laughs> and you looked at me and your eyes were like bloodshot after like one bite i swear to god <laughs> and you finished it he ate it yeah i got <laughs> two i got about two thirds the way through like there it came to a point where it's just like you know, <laughs> the gravy with like a little bit of rice floating in there but not enough rice to like cut it with. yeah it tasted like yeah. eating oh. blades to me even an eight i was like this is hurting my face but yeah. it felt good going down but once it hit the bottom of my stomach that was when i like started feeling like weird yeah i think we, yeah feeling yeah. you can't hear you as well it's like you can't pay attention to things oh yeah yeah that's true yeah, totally. <laughs> Definitely has a like, psychological yeah. effects. Yeah. So, uh, bringing it back to psychological effects, the coffee, the packaging for that coffee is done by it's the artists. The art is incredible. Sorry, I'm getting tired now. And Kevin, you have a card, like a player card. I I kind of forget exactly what it is by the same artist i think it's lunitas yeah right lunitas oh yeah, yeah, is yeah. awesome and yeah. i I, uh, I realized that they just did the they must have just done the cat corp live album cover yeah because mm -hmm. it just looks like it's the same it could not be them it's them yeah <laughs> um so, so you're, cool. you're referring to the, oh, so the second vaporwave coffee that i did which was called vaporwave coffee <laughs> Uh, bu yeah. buzzed um i commissioned lunatas to do the artwork for that and it was awesome to work with them they are, have a really unique style recognizable style <laughs> mm -hmm. and 
I really enjoyed working with them. Yeah. Uh, just a funny tit- tidbit that I noticed while I was looking around. Yeah, I um, got a hold of uh, Lunitas uh, via like Instagram um, a while back, and I, I liked their art and I liked their posts and stuff. And then uh, they got a hold of me and they were like, hey, me and a friend um, are throwing shows, like vaporwave shows in Austin. Do you want to play? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, uh, you know, have your dude send me the offer and uh, I'll look it over. And if it seems like, you know, it's going to work out, then uh, sure. And uh, yeah, almost immediately, you know, his friend Eric hit me up and um, it was just incredibly nice. And uh, yeah, it was it was a really nice opportunity. You know, they um, they covered a lot of my expenses and they, they just made it very easy for me to go out there mm-hmm. and play um, Austin and the scene out there was, was great. I was like, so surprised by, uh, the turnout to the show and just like how passionate everybody that came out were. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Lunitas did the cover, like the, uh, show poster for that event. And I love the art so much. And, um, and his partner, um, her Instagram is a mermalian. Um, she illustrated the equip figure, and uh, Lunitas did the, the covering for it. Um, you can find her Instagram at M E R M A E L I E N, like kind of like a cross between a mermaid and alien, mermalian. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she, I believe she also helped out with the Cat Corp illustration too. So they're kind of like a, mm. a power couple, like they do all kinds of collaborative yeah. work together. Nice. Did they also do and a yeah, cover or a poster for you? For I think that's actually how I discovered Lunitas was through a, maybe a poster for one of your that shows. Was the show, in, uh, yeah, so I, I played in Chicago before Electronicon Two. As uh, my last Chicago show, actually at a Sleeping Village, and that was the first time I reached out to like commission Lunitas for a poster. And uh, my friends in the band that I uh, opened for Cantor, they were having their album release show. And they uh, commissioned Lunitas to do like uh, koozies and posters and uh, T-shirts for them after that too. So um, it was cool because you know it, it led to some additional work for Lunitas. But yeah, they were so so nice, and they came and picked me up from the airport. And uh, it was uh-huh. funny because it was like uh, it was sleeting in Chicago that day. It was like really really crappy out, like twenty seven degrees and sleeting. And then I flew to Austin and I got off the plane and I couldn't believe it. It was 27 degrees and sleeting there too. It was like, I had just like brought the weather. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they I were both you. confused and they were like, what is this? <laughs> and like, they, um, I am so happy that they were able to pick me up from the airport. Cause it was, it was just like, it was really weird and disorienting to mm-hmm. like come into Austin in the same weather that I left. <laughs> <laughs> totally not expecting that. Yeah. But yeah, they're both amazing designers, and uh, uh, yeah, I I highly recommend working with them. They, uh, you know, after after I had the poster commissioned, um, I had them do the uh, inserts for my equip ears that I sell at shows. Uh, they look really cool. Oh, okay. Uh, little elf it. ears. Mm-hmm. How do you go about naming? your songs and your albums 
Mm. <laughs> I just name everything airship. <laughs> airship uh, 15, <laughs> airship 16, <laughs> airship 17. Um, I don't put a lot of thought into it when I'm saving <clears throat> the file. Usually, like, I work on something, and then I just save it as, like, I'll just try to come up with something real quick, like a couple words, and then I'll save it. And I don't put a lot of stock into it. And I'll, um, later, usually when I'm, like, sequencing the record, that's when I'll go in and start naming stuff for real, for real. So, um, I think both of these songs, I don't know, Severe Mountain Path, I think you had already sent to me with that name, you know, and I think Airship Theme, you had already, it was just another airship for you, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but there's a lot of stuff that we haven't really come upon a final name yet. I think, I don't know, I feel like I always do that when I'm sequencing the final album to, like, master it, and then to, like, send it off to the pressing plant. Mm. It's like when I like finally come up with the name mm-hmm. i try to kind of but, undermine yeah. that in a way like if i myself even if because i'm just like i'll name the file something like whatever i was just doing at the moment like just num- even two or three at the end and i'll try to keep that in there uh, a lot of my my track names are weird but with, with our actual collaborations i do find that kevin you'll add something to it like i think it was called mountain path and then you added severe mountain severe to it and you like added mm. atmospheric sounds that really accentuated that. So yeah. It is kind of- so yeah, that um, that storm sound effect is like a real storm that I recorded on my like Tascam little handheld recorder. That was like a really really bad storm in Chicago in like summer 2018, and it was just coming down. It was crazy. So yeah, I put my uh, my uh, recorder in the window. So yeah, all those are like real real field recordings that I recorded Mm -hmm. and what about your like your older albums like uh regen for example songs on there kind of describe what i imagine you're going through on your journey like while listening to this record like the character's journey sort of yeah dreaming i was dreaming way forward i follow realm of the eternal rain etc yeah, maybe I'm contradicting myself from what I just said, but but yeah, like uh, I would say Veltal and uh, Regen, they're kind of my last like original, like or not original, but like sample free, like full releases. Like Veltal being an LP and Regen being an EP. Uh, and since then, I've only really done kind of like beat tapes and reissues and singles and stuff. And until our project Nameless Dreamers, um, yeah, uh, but those were ones where I definitely like was like trying to in, in ca- like uh, capture like a mood, I guess, like I mentioned earlier, um, like this sort of amnesiac mech pilot that is trying like lost in time and space, trying to find their way. Um, mm-hmm. And just kind of ruminating and just exploring those ideas. And yeah, I think I actually was feeling a little bit like down when I made regen it was kind of like a dark okay. period of my darker period of my life, which maybe is like a really mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, that one's my favorite. <laughs> it's like, that is an example of an album where I tried, I didn't, I was trying not to please anybody, but myself. Does that make sense? Like, it was just yeah. like, yeah. I don't even know what genre you'd call it. Like <laughs> I kind of just thought like, let's explore these different ideas. I'm not going to hold back or try to like, 
go back to the drawing board and think, how can I express this idea? I just kind of going to express myself with it. And it even, yeah. it even has lots of weird Easter eggs in it, like vocal samples of recordings I'd made many years ago, a lot of uh, sampling and remixing of my own scores. And it even has a hidden track on it that's like there's a locked groove on side one that's just the sound of rain. And uh, people have since found it uh, and tweeted about it. But after on side A, there's like a locked groove with a rain loop. And after that, if you lift the needle and move it, there's another track, which is like a, a remix of... of one of my first songs on OST. So, whoa, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a hidden in plain sight. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. Um, Damn. Yeah. So for that one, I definitely, uh, I, I, but still, a lot of those those track names were just like the first take. I'm like, ah, this sound, this sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you guys know when an album is complete? That's a good question because we don't. <laughs> I know you, Kevin, like to get things done like in one sitting if you can. Like you don't like to return to it over multiple periods because this is true. And yeah, I talked about this. Um, talked about this a lot over the course of my production career. Uh, but yeah, the 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 longer I toil away on something, the more I lose the vision of what. I wanted to do with it originally. And um, it's it's a little bit different with the Nameless Dreamer stuff because there's another person on the line. And uh, I have never really like worked with another producer in this capacity as frequently as I've worked with Mark. Um, I've definitely worked with other people via Dropbox before, uh, even, you know, sometimes editing the same like Ableton file. Um, but this this project's a little different because Mark does he uses Logic and Ableton, and I mostly just use Ableton. But um, like Mark, you like to use your like soundtrack stuff in Logic, right? Yeah, yeah. So that we definitely like we mentioned earlier, we have very very different like I guess process or like sound, um, and I think that's it. Kind of works in this case because for me, nothing is really ever done and also nothing is really sacred i guess like i will just subvert my own expectations about what i'm doing if my interest in the track changes you know on a whim and mm. i'll look yeah. into my back catalog and remix a track that i made or a score that i did and that's just a new song now um mm -hmm. so like i guess the song is never really done and it never really begins or ends <laughs> Like most of my songs have, um, like share a similar kind of structure. Like I'll usually, I've got a couple different types of songs, um, but I'd say that it's usually either a, a pop song structure or it's an RPG loop, and it's either one or the other. And like my pop songs are going to go, you know, uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, uh, bridge, chorus, chorus. That's just kind of the the roadmap that you take when you do pop songs and then you know of course you get a little leeway there and you can kind of trim some stuff and make some stuff shorter and make some stuff longer but like the rpg loop is like okay you can make an a section then a b section and then if it sounds fine you can go back to the a section then just do a b section again and then that's the song you know you get mm -hmm. two parts switch back and forth um but it, you know sometimes you listen to like nes soundtracks and it's literally there's not even a second section. It's just like one loop that just keeps going and going. 
So like I, I have a couple of those in my catalog, mostly on um, I dream of a palace in the sky. There's a couple of just like one phrase loops um, where I just kind of keep, keep grinding into it until it leads into something else. Mm-hmm. But uh, like Mark's um, Mark's got the, the soundtrack background. So like he sent me some stuff where like, I don't really know how to structure it. You know, like I want to put all of it into a box basically, but like, uh, Mark doesn't work that way, and Mark, I don't even think you always work on a grid, do you? Uh, no, I sometimes will completely avoid that and just sort of feel it out. I'm used to doing like cues as well. Like it, if I'm doing some a soundtrack and I know that it's not going to be recorded with a, with real players, I might just sort of feel it out and not even conform to a time signature or like a metronome even, yeah. but, um, wow. that's way of, of working, uh, totally conflicts with like how my brain is wired. Like I yeah. can't, uh, I can't deal with that, that, that form of disorganization, but like working with Mark has, has kind of like led me into those avenues. And, um, I'd say that some of our, some of the tracks that we've done on this project, Mark, um, I'm I'm thinking particularly of uh, of Retinal Geoblade. Like that track is uh is probably the wildest track that I've ever put my name on, like experimental wise. And like the I did a remix for Mark recently, like the the low HP remix, which is I think now takes the cake for like the most experimental yeah equipped this track. This is this so. is yet to be released, and it's it's uh it's a remix that um, Kevin did of uh, one of my tracks and. Everyone's going to love it. It's so cool. <laughs> but I do Sweet. think we complement each other in that sense. Like Kevin's got a lot of talent, skill, and knowledge. And I mean, I have that too, but I also like, like kind of like you're saying, you're like, I can't even wrap my head around whatever you just came up with, which I think is a, if we work well together, I can send you something that's like 40 seconds long. And you're like, what even is this? And then turn it into a trip. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it, like, which is great because it's something that you probably wouldn't have thought of, but now you can turn it into a banger or whatever you know uh, and i mean some of our, our songs and like like uh like that retina geoblade song in particular like i i don't know if that ever did end up on a grid i think that like i just finally convinced myself that um you had a solid enough structure that sounded enough like a song to me that it maybe it didn't need to conform to like every single <laughs> pulse of the grid and that i was fine kind of writing off of the grid and interjecting like weird stuff into it so um, Mark's more experimental approach has like, let me be a little bit looser in my production. Whereas I wouldn't normally get into that kind of like, if I'm making a song on my own, it's going to conform to a grid and it's going to be, even if there's like swing on it, the swing is going to be quantized, <laughs> you know, like I'm yeah. just a kind of a sucker for like rigidity and organization. Yeah. yeah. See, um, so it's, it's, it's refreshing to work with Mark because I can, his stuff stands out on its own to me enough that I don't feel the need to, to box it in like that. And I can kind of work on a more loose plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's super well, awesome, fun. man. I, I think we're all very excited, and very eagerly awaiting this upcoming record. If it'll ever come out, <laughs> yeah. just keep, just keep, keep releasing singles. 2027 <laughs> one single every quarter and the, until we're yes. done all 30 <laughs> tracks 
<laughs> yep. And then we'll make uh, like a gigantic duffel bag, a branded duffel <laughs> bag where you can put all of the all of the merch into it. And then that's the album is the Nameless Dreamers Limited duffel. Edition <laughs> Wheelbarrow Collector's Edition. <laughs> full yeah. of stuff. The, How about the like wagon? a barrel? <laughs> oh, like a donkey Kong barrel. <laughs> yeah, I like it. We can call it the name, Nameless Dreamers Barrel of Fun. Nameless Dreamers <laughs> subscription crate where you just get stuff every month. Oh yeah. We'll airdrop you a loot crate <laughs> full of ar- archaic formats. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. I think I'll let you go now. I could keep talking to you forever, though. You're such interesting people, and you have so many albums we could dive into and really get into the nitty-gritty, but maybe we'll have to save that for another time. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. us. Oh, yeah. Really nice. It's been yeah, really thanks fun. so much. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So... Do you guys have anyone you want to give shout outs to before we take off? Uh, 100% Electronica, the label. Um, everyone's doing such a uh, great, incredible job. Um, I, I don't think that people know how hard both George and Lindsay work for this stuff. Like nine times out of 10, if I text George, he's like, oh, sorry, I'm learning a new coding language so I could incorporate new functions into the stream and it's it's incredible like he he puts he works harder than any other person i know in my life uh it, so yeah 100 percent electronica huge shout out um yeti records of course how could i not you know like they've done such a great job and they've like I, i've only been involved with yeti for um you know since 2016 but i feel like they're like more than just a company like they're like family you Aww. know they have that thank you that, that feel um so you have them of course um private suite magazine <laughs> hey, uh, thank you shout out like y'all are doing amazing things it was so cool to get a tape with um what was that the diskette park oh, tape yeah. was awesome and um i've got this porter vong tape in my uh in my listening queue but uh my tape players are acting kind of funny right now, so I'm not sure if I want to risk putting the priceless artifact in there. I'll probably just cop the digital and keep the tape on the shelf. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you guys are doing awesome things over there. Thanks. Mark, sweet. We trying. Yeah, like I guess I'll give a shout out to Yeti Records as well because it changed my life and it's been a roller coaster for the past few years. Um, I specifically regarding that, I'll give a shout out to Drew Wise for like because we mentioned him a lot of times and he's done a yeah. lot of amazing album art for both of us and for MVP for yeah. sure. He's just constantly making great work. He's uh, open for business. So if you're looking for an amazing Vaporwave album or poster, hit him up on Twitter or Instagram. He's, he's a really great artist. Great to work with. Um, yeah. The DDS boys. Got to give a shout out to yeah, them. James and tech. Love James and tech and uh, Keith too. Can't forget about Keith. He is a DDS member. Oh yeah, he did um, your album covers and your your yeah. the one with the horn on it too. Actually, I had the pleasure of uh, um, he played a Chicago show and he was like, "Hey, do you want to like uh, try to make a track?" And I was like, "What? Yeah, of course, dude!" Nice. And like he he came over to my house and we uh, uh, Keith and I started working on a, a banger. So uh, I, that's like in the pipeline for nice. <laughs> some point during twenty twenty. Oh, we uh, giant. We should also. Oh, sick. Sorry. We should also shout out Local Visions, a new masterpiece for making our dreams come yeah, true in Japan. Amazing labels. Absolutely. Yep. 
huge shout out to to Local Visions and New Masterpiece. Um, they made that whole Neo Gaia tour happen, and um, I have a feeling that everybody will be seeing a lot more of them in the future. <laughs> nice. I'll stay cryptic about that, but uh, <laughs> there are plans in motion. <laughs> hashtag yeah. hashtag Neo Gaia Fantasy. Yeah. Fantasy spelled yes. with a H. <laughs> yeah i mean every uh, shout out to everybody that i met and played with at uh you know electronicon one and two everybody is amazing um you know telepath and saint pepsi and cat corp golden living room i mean the list goes on and shout on out to everyone ever all night yes yeah, so shout out to everybody in the scene <laughs> for reals um trying hard and putting effort into what was dismissed as a meme so uh, we all love vaporwave anybody that is serious about it you know and uh still wants to like keep broadening the horizon of it and mm-hmm. doing new things with it and keeping it from getting stale you know has my respect awesome guys well thanks again thank you thank you you, you oh, yeah. you're awesome time. thank you i'm gonna come up with some questions for you next time yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Mm-hmm. Mark and I were talking about making our own um, a nameless dreamers podcast, but we're not. Uh, we haven't settled on a format or anything, so we're not. Uh, yeah. Would you be interested in something like that? Would you listen to that? I, absolutely, for sure. Especially if it was hosted by you two. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for thanks again. I feel like I made some new friends here today. It's a shame yeah. we didn't actually meet in person, but mm-hmm. I'm sure we will someday. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Canada. Like, we're in old. Canada, but you're still really far. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know if I'm ever in Vancouver, actually. I do come there sometimes for work. Nice. Where where uh, whereabouts are you? Toronto. Nice. Yeah. Or should I say, uh, where about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about. We don't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, sometimes. Depends how drunk I am. Oh. Hell yeah. Pasta. <laughs> do you know that yeah. one? Pasta. Apparently, pasta. apparently, we say pasta weird. That is so cute. <laughs> I I eat pasta, but Mark eats pasta. Yeah, I never hear the end of that. Not just not just from you. <laughs> and Josh says it too, though. It's funny. As Josh, like, oh, how about we go out for some pasta? I was like, what is pasta? <laughs> Ke- Kevin, you never had pasta before. Can you say tomorrow? Tomorrow. Whoa. Tomorrow. Whoa. Tomorrow. tomorrow. It's tomorrow. 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 <laughs> that sound, that's someone's name. Tamara. 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 Yeah. Tamara. That's, that's the one I always use. <laughs> wow. Eye <laughs> opening. What do you say? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Yeah. Like, tomorrow. Like Morrowind? Yeah, like tomorrow wind. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Elder Scrolls. That's funny. Now you know what to do when you get up here. <laughs> Have to equip my toque. Equip. Nice. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> All right, boys. I hope your butts don't hurt too much. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Go go rest up. Sleep well. We'll talk to you soon. Get some good food in you. Cool. Enjoy your nights. I sure will. All right. See you guys. Thanks Take a lot, care. guys. Cheers. Bye. All right, everybody. That was my interview with R23X and Equip. Thank you, as always, for sticking around. Definitely check out their new project, Nameless Dreamers. Uh, namelessdreamers.neocities.org you can check out severe mountain path and airship theme on equips Bandcamp page check out equips website check out our 23x website check everything out 
Neo Gaia Fantasy documentary just came out. Check that out. Super cool on 100% Electronica um, Twitch channel. Um, so much, so much stuff to check out. Check out the Yeti. Check out um, the CloudRise pictures, uh, Ephemera archives. Just go to the website privatesweetmag.com slash podcast slash 90 I guess it would be for this and uh, all the links are right there if you want quick access to everything as for us Private Suite definitely uh, stick around our website if you want to check out any other stuff we've got reviews other things on the YouTube features our actual magazine of course and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff and there may be some cool changes coming up with the website soon so keep your eyes peeled for that we may have a lot more content coming up there soon you can go to our patreon if you want a physical copy of the magazine we've got porter vong's new album and tape on our Bandcamp, as well as diskette parks uh, privatesuitemedia.bandcamp.com if you want to check those albums out and definitely give the boys from the show today a follow on twitter if you're not already so you can stay up to date with everything going on with Nameless Dreamers. Give the podcast a little follow on whatever podcast platform you like, if you're not already following us, so you can stay up to date with all of our episodes. And as always, I'm Indie Advent. Take care, and we'll see you next time.
Kiska?
ンディーゲームマシンゲームボーイ君とならどこまでも